and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to watch the musicals he really should have seen by now, and then we talk about them. I am the fiancé. Is that your new way of saying that? I don't know. I I (laughs) didn't put much thought into it. I just went with what felt natural. Very nice. I'm not quite the storyteller that our protagonist for this show is going to be yes because this week we are watching little women the musical yes we are one that i think the second i told you was going to be performed in london oh i was just like okay we're gonna see it book it now yeah i think literally five minutes was all it took from me telling you it was accessible from where we live Mm -hmm. and booking it because you were super excited even if it hadn't have been accessible from where we live, I'd have been like, okay, we're traveling to wherever this is. The funny thing is, this is the furthest we have traveled for a musical yeah. since the podcast began. Yep. And I mean, especially since the pandemic, this is the furthest we've had to travel for a musical. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to go and see this one. We are going to be seeing it at the Park Theatre in London, which... From what I understand, is quite a small, intimate theatre, very similar to the Southwark Playhouse. Yes. Where we saw the last five years. Mm-hmm. And really, I, I mean, before we speak about the actual show itself, more theatres need to do what Park Theatre does when it comes to booking tickets, where it shows you a view of the stage, where you're sat... Because I found that so useful in, like, determining where to book tickets. Because we're going on the second of the preview nights. I believe there is, and I think this might just be a Broadway thing, but I believe there is a website that allows you to see the view from your seat. Yes, but that shouldn't be an extra website you have to go to. That should be... Embedded. Embedded in when you are booking on their platform. Because the money you are spending for a night at the theatre... Mm-hmm. Is obviously worth it anyway. Yeah. But if you are going to pay £130 for a ticket, mm-hmm. I feel like it's common sense to just have the opportunity to see what it looks like first, because that is a lot of money to spend. Yeah. And if you know that you're going to spend that money and then potentially have a bit of a shock when you get to the theatre and think, oh, I'm not quite happy with this. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money to potentially ruin your night with this it was so handy because i knew exactly what we were getting in for we have a thrust stage which means we might have some moments where we can't see the faces very similar to the last five years i'm okay with that yeah but i got a chance to sort of see which angle we'd be at and i think we're kind of at the middle of the uh stage right so that should be interesting more theatres need to do this. Yes. I'm sure it's not difficult to do. You know, if there are websites that already do it, work in partnership or, you know, get somebody during the day to just go and take photos of every every view. Yeah. Because I, I think it's a really, really positive experience. So it's going to be quite a small, intimate theatre, which I think is quite nice mm-hmm. for something like Little Women, which is a classical story. Yes. I an American classic. Yeah. So I'm I'm only familiar with it recently because the only version of Little Women I've ever seen 
mm-hmm. was the 2019 uh, Greta Gerwig movie adaptation with yes. uh, is it Cersei Ronan and Emma Watson and Florence Pugh. Yep. Really good cast. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. A whole bunch of other. Yeah, you've got. Um, uh, what's the, the Saul boy called? From um, Better Call Saul. And then you've got Timothy Chalamet. Yes, that's what his name is. I'm probably going to get shamed for not remembering, but you know. Well, that's the only version of this story I've seen, but this is a story you love. Mm-hmm. You weren't impressed with the film, but you told me that your favourite version of this story, like in terms of adaptation, is the musical. Yeah, and that's because it... Obviously the musical is the same plot as every other version. However... It cuts everything non-essential yeah. and follows just sort of the lead character, Joe's main storyline. Yeah. However, at the same time, it follows the book plot in which we are entirely in Joe's world and in her head for the entire time because she's the protagonist. And in the world of the book, the book is her book. Yeah. I'm not explaining that well. Well, no, because Little Women comes across, certainly, from what I remember of the film, the end result is Joe's big break, her big book, is the book she writes about her sisters. Well, the end result is everything you've just seen is the book that she's just written. Which basically is what Louisa May Alcott has done. Like, it's a semi-autobiographical novel. Yes. You know, where she's potentially Joe. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. This is, like you say, an American classic. I thought, <laughs> slightly embarrassing here, I thought when we went to see Little Women, I was expecting, you know, British classic in the same kind of vein as Pride and Prejudice, as Jane Eyre, as these these sorts of books. But yeah. I guess this is the American response to those sorts of books in the same way, like Virgil's Aeneid is the Roman response to Homer's Iliad and Odyssey? No, (laughs) is my answer to that. Fair enough. I think what people forget about Jane Austen books is that they were trashy. Now they're classics. Now we look at them and we're like, oh, these old, like, archaic books that are wonderful stories about people doing wonderful things and falling in love and drama and tragedy. Well, that's the same as reading a trashy romance novel today. That's what they were for. Yeah. It's easy entertainment. Whereas Little Women is semi-autobiographical. She's writing about real things that actually happen to people. Not that Jane Austen didn't also do that, but she's not presenting it as entertainment she's presenting it as these are their lives this is real people they have real struggles and problems but is that not i mean there's a lot about the aeneid that is shows evolution like it's not just a copy of homer it's it's homer but with a roman spin on it for you know a modern roman audience that has made it better could you argue that she's taken that formula and kind of improved on it no okay I mean, it's, we're not it's a, fairly non-comparable. We're not an English podcast, you know. We're not here to study books. There are so many good book podcasts. Shout mm. out especially to Ray of Not Before Coffee, who talks about books a lot more eloquently than I could. Yeah. I've never read Little Women. I've only read 
Jane Eyre, you know? I don't know these books. That's what my impression of it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm clearly wrong. Yeah, no. So she wrote a lot of... Um, what do they call it in the musical? It's like blood and gut stories. Yeah. That was her whole thing. She wrote uh, Jane Austen books. Basically, like, you know, fun, exciting adventure books for people to read, usually about men. And then her publisher was like, we want you to publish a girl's book. And she, and she went, one. no. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about girls. I prefer boys. I don't want to write about girls. And then they just kept pressing her until eventually she was like, okay, fine. And then the only thing she had to base her girl story on was her own experiences, which I think is a, a good way to do it. Fair enough. So I'm sure we could talk a lot about different films, television adaptations. We're not going to. We're going to talk about how the musical adaptation came to be. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to it, the only other thing I knew about Little Women before seeing it was that Beth would die. Yep. And the only reason I know that is because of Friends. Yes. Where Joey hides Little Women in the fridge, doesn't want to read it anymore. You know, there's the bit before where in, in, in an argument, Rachel says that Beth's going to die and Joey's heartbroken and Chandler's like, are you going to really ruin the one thing he's ever loved, the one book he's ever loved? That, that you gave to him. That you, you gave told to him to read and, this. And she says, Beth doesn't die. And Joey says, why would you say something so mean? And then she comes back one night and it's in the fridge because like, Beth's not doing well. <laughs> Beth's not doing so good. Do you want to put it in the fridge? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, in the freezer, yeah. It's such it's a so sweet cool. little moment. And it's that's true, the, Well, no, and that's the only thing I can imagine that, you know... It is, certainly from watching the film, you do really invest in Beth's character. And if you don't know, and if you've never experienced death before, that can be painful. Well, that's that's actually my one issue with the the movie, the most recent one, is that I didn't care enough about Beth. I still cried yeah. <laughs> and she died. But that's more from my own understanding of the character from the book or the musical and other versions. Yeah. But that version of Beth, I wasn't, I didn't care enough about her for that to be the big tragic scene it was supposed to be. It was actually kind of subtle, which I don't think it should be because this is supposed to be the event that changes Joe's life. Yeah. And I, it's it's the thing that I'm very excited, not from like a a gross kind of like, ha ha ha. Can't wait to see her die. I'm really intrigued to see how that moment is handled because I do think it is one of the most important moments in this. Mm. And it should feel painful and it should be gut-wrenching. And I'm excited to see how it's handled in such an intimate theatre. Because mm. I feel like this is going to be a real, like, a real blow. Like, we'll see. Be fully prepared for me to cry for the entire show. Yeah, I, I always am. Mm-hmm. So, how did this show come to be in existence? So, in 2001 because this is actually a fairly recent musical for once. Which is interesting considering how long the... uh... Well, the book came out in 1880. Yes. And there have been plays of it, but never a musical. So in 2001, there was a a workshop production in February directed by Nick Cawley, and it was sort of followed by a workshop reading that went on in March and April, and then... Another workshop got presented in October 
of 2004 that was then directed by Susan Shulman. And people had been playing about with the idea for this musical for the four-year gap that is in there. They really wanted it to cover all of the key points of the show, but also have the heart and the warmth that the show should have because it's a character piece, not a plot piece. Yeah. Well, obviously there is plot. We're here for these characters and you have to love them to care about them. Oh, yeah. So they were trying really hard to find the heart of this piece. And eventually they thought they were onto something. So they brought on Alan Nee to adapt the book into the book for the stage show. Yes. He worked on The Man Who Was Peter Pan, which actually you told me about when we were doing some research for this episode. Yes. Which then was the basis for Finding Neverland, the movie, which then got turned into Finding Neverland, the musical. Yeah, so, you know, that's very successful. But, yeah, he is a film and television writer more than anything else, really, but he worked on Little Women, the musical, adapting it so that the book had just enough of the key plot and of Joe's key plot, because we're following Joe, but also enough of the heart surrounding the other sisters so that we're left feeling like we care about them. They're not secondary characters. They're also the main characters with Joe. Fair enough. Then they brought on Mandy Dickstein, who is a lyricist and librettist, to work on the lyrics specifically with Jason Howland being brought on to do the music. Yes, and Jason Howland was an intern for the 1992 workshop on Jekyll and Hyde. Which, you know, fun throwback. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I miss that. that nice, nice little throwback here because when we saw last five years, which was, you know, Southwark Playhouse and actually very similar, um, has Aria Entz behind it as well in uh, you know in the same way the last five years did mm-hmm. before that we did Jekyll and Hyde so you know nice little connections there for for two of our previous shows that you can go back in into the archives and, and listen to yeah he also worked as the musical director for Beautiful the Carol King musical yes. which I think is one of the most nicely adapted jukebox musicals of recent years yeah i don't do well with jukebox musicals but that one i really enjoyed um and also the scarlet pimpernel which is awesome he also with this was one of the producers for this show and when the original songwriters that they brought on were released because they had a bunch of songwriters in the four years that they were working on the show before howland was brought on yeah when they eventually released them, he stepped down from his producing role to write the lyrics with Mandy Dickstein. So they were all completely ready. We've got the music, we've got the lyrics, we've got the book for this musical. They pulled in a cast and they did 55 previews before they then opened on Broadway. And this went straight in. Yeah. January 23rd, 2005. And it ran for 137 performances. Directed by Susan Shulman with their full Broadway cast. Now, obviously, we have the cast that were there before who were doing the workshops and the originating. So we had Kerry O'Malley as Joe, and then 
Jan Maxwell, Mary Gordon Murray, Jane Connell, Rita Gardner, the all of the people who were doing the workshops and the readings. However, during the last workshop in 2004, before it was ready to go to Broadway tryouts, they then brought in Sutton Foster, Maureen McGovern, Janet Carroll, Danny Gerwin, John Hitchcock, Amy McAlexander, Megan McGuinness, Amy Rootberg, Jenny Powers, Robert Sattel, and Jim Whitezer. Now, the only one of them who had been in it from the start was Megan McGuinness, and she was Beth. Yeah. But she'd been there from day one, basically, of coming up with this show. Now, Megan McGuinness is a very diverse actress. Yeah. She's been a lot of really different characters, which I find really interesting. Sorry, this is such a tangent from talking about the show, mm -hmm. but Megan McGuinness is fascinating. So she made her Broadway debut in The Diary of Anne Frank. Yeah. As Margot Frank. Then she went on tour as Liesl in The Sound of Music. Then she was on Broadway again in Thoroughly Modern Millie. So, so far, really different shows. Then her breakout role was Belle in Beauty and the Beast. And then she went on to do Little Women from the workshops all the way through. And then afterwards, she ended up being in Les Mis for a really long cool. time. Those are vastly different roles yeah. to be playing. And to go from being Belle to being Beth. Yeah. That shows like the range of her acting, I yeah. think. And is incredible. Anyway, I love her and I just wanted to talk about her. However, obviously, the person that is talks about the most in terms of relation to little women is Sutton Foster. Yes. Who hopefully you you well, you know Shrek. who Sutton Foster is. Yes. Yeah. yeah, she was. I mean, Shrek. more than just Shrek, obviously. But that's what you've but, seen her in. Yeah, that's that's it. And recently did Anything Goes over here, which is going to show in here. Yeah, but it's going to be showing in cinemas. Yeah. Unfortunately, it sold out at our cinema. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised to be honest. People love her. She's a very good actress and performer. Yeah. Now, Actually, I'm mostly known for tap dancing. Yeah. I am aware that Sutton Foster is Tony nominated for Little Women. Yes. But did not win. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm aware that it's the only Tony this show was nominated for. I believe I could be completely wrong, but. So, Little Woman was nominated for just one Tony, and it was for Best Actress in a Musical. Yeah. They didn't win. No. She was up against a whole bunch of different people. Actually, that is a big old list of nominees that year. However, the musicals that had come out that year that were up for Best Musical were The Light in the Piazza, which people love. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong even. Spam a lot, mm -hmm. which won. Yeah. Uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, which is a great musical. Isn't Disney doing a pro shot of that? Yes. And I think it's going to be great, depending on how they shoot it. Yeah. But I think it'll be funny. So this, this has had a very successful US run. Mm -hmm. But you said Europe, not so much. The only place I'm aware of it performing over in England was the Hope Mill Theatre in Manchester in 2017. Yeah, and that was a trial. And a lot of the creative team, in mm -hmm. I mean, it has the same director, for instance, in Aria Entertainment as, as the production behind it, are the same people involved in this version here. So you have the same director 
which is, uh, I'm, I'm going to apologise if I get this wrong, uh, Branna Lagen, who has got a great CV of, of, of shows directed. I'm going to just read out a few for you because there's so many out there. They've got associate direct credits of Pippin at Southwark Playhouse. Oh, cool. Assistant director credits of Secret Garden at the Grosvenor's Park Open Air Theatre. But some of the shows, there's so many going as far back as like 2010. I don't know all of them. I'm going to just read names I'm familiar with. Julius Caesar, Henry VI, Part 1. You have got James and the Giant Peach. You've got really relevant because just come out on Netflix, Tick, Tick, Boom at the Park Theatre. Cool. Brexit the Musical at the Edinburgh Festival. Very nice. The Queen's Nose, which I, I assume could be an adaptation of a book that I used to have in the TV show, which we have talked about on here before. Little Women the Musical in 2017. And recently directed uh, Cruise, which ran for four weeks at the Duchess Theatre and was the first new play to open in the West End post-pandemic during socially distant seasons. Hmm. So fantastic CV, you know, has, has followed this down for this, this new version five years later. Cool. Four years later. <laughs> Maths. Maths. So, before we do go and see this, because, you know, I'm looking at the clock and I know we've got to get a train. But yep. it has a, a phenomenal looking cast. By the looks of it, the cast multi-role, with the exception of Joe mm-hmm. and Professor Bear? Bauer. Bauer. Now, looking at the cast, there is one person I have definitely seen before, Mm -hmm. and that's Brian Prothero, who plays Mr. Lawrence. I saw him as Saruman in the stage musical version of Lord of the Rings at Drury Lane. Yeah, that is very, very cool. But I also know his voice because he is the narrator of First Dates. Oh, Channel 4. Channel 4, that's really cool. So very, very cool. Uh, I'm not familiar with anyone else's CV, but I do know that we've got Lydia White playing Joe. And the reason I want to talk about that and bring that up is because Lydia White was the alternate Kathy in the last five years at the Southwark Playhouse that then transferred onto the West End recently. Well, in the same vein as that, Joe's character basically never leaves the stage. So, she, yeah. she is the lead. So the same way that she would have been in the last five years, she's going to carry this. Yeah. I, and looking through it, I can see that you've got some absolutely phenomenally talented, you know, cast and crew. So Savannah Stevenson is playing the mother and she was Glinda. Mommy. Yeah. Mommy. She was Glinda for three years in Wicked and has, is on the cast recording for Love Never Dies and Mary Poppins. Groovy. So we do have a, a, a fantastically talented cast that I'm sure we'll talk about as we go through our review of it once we see them. But those are just a few names that I've looked at and been like, huh, that's very, very interesting. I don't tend to do a lot of that before we watch shows because I like to just go in blind. You mm-hmm. know, I, I'm very much, I like to believe that the world I'm watching is the... Uh, is real and if i know the actors I, I tend to lose that leo munby who is the musical director i believe for this also worked on the last five years um at the garrick theater 
and at the Minac Theatre in Cornwall when it transferred there, has worked at the Southwark Playhouse a lot as well. So that you can see that this is, I, th- I think I'm going to really enjoy this one because I think it's going to, it's going to be the last five years, you know, like similar vein in the way it's staged. Yeah, I think this is going to be really nice to see in, like you say, what did you say this type of stage is called? Thrust stage. So that's where you've got the audience around the stage, but you still have a backdrop, so you can still have exits and entrances for actors. Yes. Um, But obviously there's a bit more intimacy because your audience is surrounding you. And I think that's going to be important for our care of the characters. If you feel like you're in their house suppose you're going to feel more attached to them you know but then what's interesting with that staging configuration to put my drama teacher brain on Mm -hmm. because obviously that's my day job unlike traditional theater where the only thing you have in front of you usually is the stage you will be able to see the other theater goers yeah so i would argue you are not going to have the same investment in the characters because the suspension of disbelief is going to be a bit more difficult because you will see people in front of you the other side watching yeah so i think that plays into the idea of it potentially being joe's story yeah you know i wonder will it come across more like the book ending of joe pitching this story out almost like we're like this publishing house is joe pitching to us and like we go back you know? Yeah. I wonder how that could come across, but I'm very, very excited to see this one. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> I don't really want to tell you anything because I really like how it's done in the stage show. Cool. But yeah, I'm excited. I know all of the. I, I literally could sing this entire show through yeah. from start to finish, which is true of a lot of musicals, but there's few that I like care about this much. I assume you've not seen this live, but you've watched... I have seen... So there was a filmed version of the Sutton Foster cast. Yeah. And I saw it when I was like 10 or 11 and watched it. And then it just seemed to sort of disappear. Yeah. And it was definitely not, you know, a slime tutorial. It was like a proper filmed version and it was just on the internet. That's how I found it. And yeah. I watched it and I thought it was great. But it then just disappeared and I've never been able to find it again. Fair enough. So maybe they recalled it or maybe it's in the archives, you know. Who knows? Who knows? Well, we will be off to the Park Theatre. Yep. And hopefully, I'm not going to cry too much. I am. But hopefully this is going to be a really positive live theatre experience. Mm-hmm. We'll be here to tell all. After the interval. After Massachusetts, we will keep. If you say, come with me off to Massachusetts, then to Massachusetts we will go. We will buy dishes there, maybe even two sets. Buy the finest china, then we'll dine or on crepe Suzettes. Well, what's the matter now? I don't remember the rest, sir.
And we are back. Yes, we are. From Massachusetts. What a night at the theatre. Oh, what a night. <laughs> I had a great time. I think it was an absolutely beautiful production. I had a great time, but I ugly cried. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. The whole time. <laughs> I, I felt moved. Mm-hmm. So I really did feel, you know, the emotion of it. It's not, 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 no shade on people who, you know, cry at things. I cry quite a lot. We listened back to our Frozen episode. I sobbed. Mm-hmm. Different people have different responses. And also, me and the girl directly opposite me, yeah. also in the audience, because we have the thrust stage. So I'm staring across the audience at this girl who's probably the same age as me. And we made direct eye contact and both of us were like ugly crying during act two. And I was like, oh good, it's not just me. I was holding both your hands and I could feel your stomach. I was like... Yeah. (laughs) I do think though it is a really, really phenomenal production. Like straight out, you know, the park, ironically. Um, (laughs) You need to see this. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to talk very positively about this show. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I I want a West End transfer. Yep. I think it, it warrants it. And if you look, there's a really nice banner. I want to take a photo of whilst we're at the Park Theatre that says, like, it's had two New York transfers. It's had quite a few West End transfers. It's had quite a national few tours. Yeah, two national well. theatre transfers. This is a show I want to be performed more frequently and I want it to be more accessible. Mm-hmm. You said, like, you'd love to take your mum to see this. You know, I think this is a really brilliant show. We are going to have a very positive review of this one. Yep. It is very long. It's very long. It's two hours, 40 minutes, including the interval. Yeah. Which is probably the same length as Frozen, to be completely honest. I don't know why I felt this one being long more so than others. I think it was. I think because it's a smaller theatre, it didn't quite have like the air conditioning of others. And because I was in, you know... We're in winter. I'm in colder clothes. It's a pet peeve I have when you go shopping. Anyway, is you got too hot in the, in like shopping centres. Yeah, yeah, they've got the heating on, but you don't need it because everyone's already in their winter clothes. Mm-hmm. And I did feel like the heat maybe made me just a little bit more chilly. But this is one I, I feel like there could be an argument for three acts. <laughs> you know, like having two intervals because the first act itself was about an hour and twenty minutes. It just feel, felt long. Yeah. But that's not a criticism. I really, really enjoyed this one. I think, you know, I made the mistake of staying sat down through the interval so I could start taking notes. Definitely through the interval, stand up for a bit. Maybe go outside, get a breather, some fresh air and go back in. But yeah. this is this is a fantastic show. The stage, as you walk in, you see everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the best things about a thrust stage is there's no curtain. So straight away we are in their living room. Their living room. Mm-hmm. You can see Joe's attic. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I think the set design for this show was was gorgeous. There's some really beautiful technical design for this show. Yep. Some really beautiful sound design for this show, which I, I know you're going to talk to me about the orchestration specifically mm-hmm. as we go forward, because you mentioned something specific about the different instruments. Yep. This is a really well put together show mm-hmm. with a phenomenal cast a really phenomenal cast there's no weak link in this cast 
and 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 especially when you've got like a cast of maybe 10 there are nine cast members and then two either alternates or stage crew who are dressed in period clothing to match who moved the set yes. which is very cool yeah i, I saw that, that. like because obviously that's one of the things is you've got to move set around and replace things during but the interval aren't march's maids which i really like they're just like in the show yeah very cool. so it is really really great you know the story of little women is obviously one that a lot of us know we are going to go through it bit by bit mm-hmm. but i'm you know my notes aren't in the same way i've highlighted yeah. things i really liked but we are going to talk about the show the thing i'm going to say with this one i'm not going to go through stuff that they change from the book or stuff that's different from the movies just because this is my favorite adaptation i think they did a good job with this but also if it's how really many pertinent. different like yeah. tv or films you'd be here forever if you listed every movie version of little women that was different or every tv show yeah. that deviated from the formula yeah one of the things i've forgotten about this is that we actually start in the middle of the story there's a really nice non-linear narrative here so yeah middle end yeah when we start this show we start in 1866 joe has moved to new york and is now trying to sell her stories yes she's working at this boarding house mm-hmm. writing stories trying to sell them but obviously has a close bond with professor bauer mm-hmm. and what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to flash back and tell the story that got her here yeah so with this narrative we catch up to the beginning of the show and then we go past it a little yeah, bit, which is Yeah, and I nice. really like that. So it's like we start at 50, and then we go back to zero, and we load all the way back up to 50%, and then from there, we start active at 55%, mm-hmm. and then we go up to 100. Yeah. And I think that's a really clever technique. I think this opening number, the uh, Anna Operatic Tragedy, mm-hmm. is that the name of the song? Yes. I really like this one because I I love Joe's performance of it. So she is telling her story to Professor Bauer and trying to like communicate her vision for it. As she is performing the story, out come two actors. Mm -hmm. At this point, don't realise their significance, but we'll talk about that act two when this, this sequence is reprised. Yep. And I love the fact that as they sing their lines, she's singing along or she's miming them. She's miming them. it, yeah. There's moments where she sings, moments where she's miming, but she's, she's repeating the same choreography that they do. Mm-hmm. And she's playing both roles. And I think it's a really nice way of storytelling. It's really nice. I really enjoy her. Because that's actually, it's, it's more than just showing us it because otherwise we'd be sitting here not looking at, eth- at anything. Yeah. It's that's what Joe's gift is. She makes this stuff come to life around her by telling her stories. Yeah, but it's also really important that we get a sense of who these characters are because when we're going to go back, you mm-hmm. know, three years in a moment, these are stories and characters that she's been working on for a very, very long time. But I really love, you know, this moment where you have like Rodrigo steps forward and in magnificent splendor but the thing i really like about joe and especially with what lydia white does here is instantly she shows you that joe is not a woman of her time you know she she's a a very progressive woman Mm -hmm. you know she's far more passionate and fiery and open-minded than 
women were expected to be at that time. I think the word you're looking for is outspoken. Okay, yeah. But if you're not familiar with Little Women as a property, if you've come to this having never, never known anything about it, except knowing that it's set in 1866, mm-hmm. this opening tells you enough, everything you need to know about Joe as a protagonist. Yes. And I, I think it's great. And there's so many things she does, like her idiosyncrasies, like the little mannerisms or the little reactions that she does. She always uses a pen instead of a sword, which is yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, but just like... The way she's like hunched over when she's telling things and standing opposed to how how majestic her acting is. Mm-hmm. Lydia White does a phenomenal job at becoming Joe. Yes. And considering, I think more so than any other character, you need Joe to be right. Mm-hmm. She carries this show so well. Like there's so much energy to her performance here. And it's really good because you're meeting Joe at like almost like this peak of her character where she feels invincible at this point. Yeah. You know, you've not got this. You you can see that she's starting to lose hope in herself, but there's still this passion behind her and she's such an easy character to root for. I think it's a fantastic Mm -hmm. opening up. So Professor Bauer is not a huge fan. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't like the blood and guts stuff. Yeah. And it's all like passionate like, oh no, you shall not defile me, sir. Yeah. Kind of storylines. And he's like, I think you can do better than this. Yeah. And not in a nasty way. I think he gives an honest opinion. Which she asked for. Yeah. And he, she gets very angry uh, and insults him by calling him old. I think she says, um, what would you what know? Are you 50? He's like, I'm, I'm 34. <laughs> She's like, oh, well, you look much older. And he reacts really like badly to it. And, you know, you, you've already got the sense and I completely forgot until midway through Act 2 where their dynamic was going. So at this point, I was kind of like, huh, it's interesting because there's a little bit, there's, there's, there's something there between the pair of them. I, I completely had no idea. Like, I'd forgotten until midway through Act 2 that yeah. they end up together. Um, Do you know what? Right. I know I said I'm not going to compare things. <laughs> immediately compares things on the first point of yeah, the Yeah, no, musical. I'm sorry. But this Professor Bayer... You have to do a really good job with this character mm. to convince an audience that Joe should end up with him. Yeah. Because as a modern audience, obviously we modern day know that she doesn't have to end up with anyone. She can be happy on her own. She can be her own woman. Like it's not imperative that she ends up with this guy. Yeah. So you need to convince us that he is the one for her and that they'd be perfect together Yeah. for us to actually get like to care about why he's here. Mm-hmm. I hated him in the film. <laughs> but Ryan Bennett does an amazing job. Like I'm yes. rooting for them because they do feel, especially like what the last song will be is you feel the polar opposites mm-hmm. between the pair of them, but like they balance each other out. Mm-hmm. I, I thought he was fantastic. So he trained at Guildford School of Acting. Yep. Uh, has a very good CV, you know, has been in the importance of being earnest, has done multiple Prince Charmings cool. in Cinderella. Has done Comedy of Errors, Macbeth, Jersey Boys. A really, really phenomenal actor here that, you know, I'm going to say that word a lot. I, I the, Considering we only see him as Professor Bauer. Mm-hmm. Would you say he was astonishing? Yes, I would say he was <laughs> astonishing. We don't see much of him in Act 1. We see more of him in Act 2. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's one of the things I'll say about this. Obviously, the musical doesn't give more opportunities for him to be there because there aren't within the story. 
it's a shame. I wanted to see more of him. Yeah, he, he really only shows up one more time during Act 1. But that's not as him. No, it's not even as him. He's just, we just needed an extra guy. An, but I really liked him. I thought he was great. And I love this dynamic instantly. So he leaves and Joe is now left alone wondering what on earth could be better. Mm-hmm. Which goes into the song, Better. Yep. She says in this song that this story that she's telling him, this story will be my King Lear. <laughs> Which I like. It's the arrogance of that youth. She hasn't had any real hardship yet. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you can obviously have some great art come out of people that are very privileged and have never known hardship. But art is made on life experiences. And if you, ha- yeah, and if you have no life experiences, can you, can you create great art? Mm-hmm. And I like this point because at this point she, she's her own worst enemy, but she's also her own biggest fan. Yes. You know, she's convinced herself. Like, this is the thing. When she was back home at Concord, she was a big fish in a small pond. Everyone loved her because everyone knew her, but it was the family or just the respective, yeah, well, that's Joe for you. And she is good. But yeah. now she's in New York and she's a small fish in a massive well, that's pond. That's what she says, too. She says, my stories were of great success in Concord. And then that's when we start to flash backwards. Yes. And this is where, you know, she assembles her sisters. <laughs> There's some funny moments here where they talk about like their roles within the play. And Beth says, am I dying in this one? I always die. (laughs) And I'm like, that is an awful line to put in considering Mm -hmm. the character. But like, that's such a funny line as well. Yeah, it's so funny because obviously, you know, this book's from the 1800s. We're not going to spoil it now. And if you if you don't know the plot, like, come on. Like, everybody at the very least has seen Joey hide in the fridge. But this, so, yeah, this is it. Like, I, I, I'm very careful when it comes to spoilers for a lot of things. And if this was a brand new film or a brand new musical, we would give that spoiler warning, as we have done in the past. However, considering this, the age on this, if you've not read Little Women by now, if you've not seen a film by now, are you really going to watch it? Well, so I was talking to a student the other day because they're reading Pride and Prejudice for the first time. They're probably a quarter of the way in. And so I said, oh, who do you think Lizzie will end up with? And they were like, they they clearly have never (laughs) seen any film versions. They're just reading the book for the first time. And they were like, oh, I think Mr. Wickham's very nice. And I was like, oh, okay, good luck with that. (laughs) But I guess there's (laughs) there's a difference though between not seeing it because you're young and not familiar with it, but you know, you're in your 20s, in your 30s. Yeah. So spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I like this whole sequence. And I think you very quickly, very quickly get to know the bond between these sisters. And I think their performances as a whole mm-hmm. are phenomenal. I love, as they will come in, uh, they're all complaining about things and how Christmas will be tragic because they don't have as much as other girls might have, which yes. is, is, that's how the book opens. Mm-hmm. And so Meg is saying how tiresome it is to be a tutor and she doesn't want to, she's functionally a governess, but yeah. that's, she doesn't want to do that. And she's tired and she wants nice clothes and she wants to go to this ball. And Amy says that she's being teased at school for her flat nose. <laughs> I forgot how much I detest Amy. Okay. And it all came flooding back to me. 
the second Amy came on stage. So the second we had Mary Moore come on stage, mm-hmm. all of her mannerisms, her whiny voice as Amy, it all came back. And I was like, oh my God, I know that you are going to be this vile little troll. <laughs> and I'm going to hate you. And I think... I think Mary Moore did a really good job at actually making me like Amy a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I mean, Florence Pugh is a great actor. But I came out, you know, back in 2019, I was like, that Amy. Oh. But even with that one, the the reason why they added in, again, I need to stop talking about the film. But the reason why they added in that whole scene where she's talking to Timothy Chalamet and being like, I'm a woman, I have nothing... I believe I have power over who I love because for me it's a business proposition, marriage, not yeah. like a, a prospect of love. It's will I be able to feed my family and clothe my children? Yeah. And they put that in because she's so unlikable. You know, you have to have a reason why you would believe that Laurie would be in love with this girl mm. who's been following him around forever. Yeah. I mean, also, this is a thing with this version there is only three years between the start and the end of this show. Whereas they're children at the start of the film. And by the end of it, they're adults, yeah. they're grown women. You know, there's a lot more time passed. But so in the three years here, you're like, how old is Amy at the start of this? Yeah. Because she's got to be like 15. Yeah. But what you get is really nice parallels. You can see that you've got Beth and Joe, mm-hmm. very similar. And Amy and Meg, very similar. This song does a really nice job at bonding them. We get some really nice, simple, elegant choreography. It's not big, elaborate, you know, chorus line-esque. It's just nice and simple and classic. You know, it it very much fits. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with the orchestration. The songs sound like... If you had to imagine what a classical book would sound like, look no further. Yeah, and really nicely, so our orchestra for this, we have a piano, a uh, two violins, and a cello, and it's beautiful. Yeah. And they're all really key in different songs, so different instruments are more prevalent in different songs for different characters. Yeah. Which So any of the ones where it's um, Joe having one of her freak outs, it tends to be the piano more than anything else. Megs are usually quite violin heavy, you know. So it's different for different characters. But we have, going into the song, Our Finest Dreams. Yeah. Joe is trying to convince them that they should put on this operatic tragedy for everyone to come and watch. And they're not super into it. Like you say, they always play exactly the same characters. And it is the genesis that we're going to see. You recognise the exact same characters because now Joe is dressed up like Rodrigo is. Mm -hmm. This song ends with them conspiring to go and get a Christmas tree, that Joe is going to be brave. She is going to sneak across to Mr Lawrence's yard and cut down one of the trees. Yes. As she goes, in comes Mm Marmy, who has a letter from their father who is out fighting in the american civil war yep i don't know if he's fighting he's a chaplain so is he just there behind the scenes um i would assume he's doing a bit of fighting because yeah. he's also uh he's injured at one point yeah yeah so she's come in and everyone you know she, she hears him talking about criminal sister 
And they just say, oh, no, no, Joe's not really doing anything. And then mm. Joe comes in with this cut down Christmas tree. And Mommy is horrified, like, how dare you do this? We're not going to keep it here. So they say, OK, well, how about we donate it to that really unfortunate family? Yeah. You know, down the way. Mr. Lawrence enters, Mm -hmm. fuming that his favourite tree has been cut down. This is a really great introduction to Mr. Lawrence. You can see why he is like this boogeyman character for Beth. Mm -hmm. You know, he talks about how these these girls are awful creatures. uh, The dreadful girls. The dreadful girls. And we also, as he storms off, we then meet Laurie for the first time. I love this. Oh my god. This is my favourite version of Laurie. I've ever seen, and that is also compared to the other stage musical that yeah. I saw, the Sutton Foster one. He was so great. And Laurie's another character that I'm like, you have to really convince me to like this kid because he's going to ruin it for himself yes. halfway through this show. And then I kind of stopped caring about him after that. So before that, you have to make me really care about him so I'm still interested yes. later when the whole thing with Amy happens. And this show did such a good job of that. He's such a dork. Yeah, he really <laughs> is. Great. Yeah, and it is that whole, I got a medal for that. He keeps repeating the things like, I, I got won a medal at yes. school for holding my breath for three minutes. Yeah, so Sev Koshgarian, he is the actor that is playing Laurie here. He was in Little Miss Sunshine, the musical. Which I'm desperate to see because I love that film. I think that's going to tour again. I hope so. I missed it when it came nearby a few years ago. Yeah. And then he was in the musical of musicals, the musical, which is great. That's a really funny show. And he was just fantastic in this. His version of Laurie starts out the biggest dork in the area. Yeah. Just is there the whole time and feels far more like the butt of the joke a lot of the time i love the bit so he's so eager to please and and all the girls are laughing including even beth's laughing yeah they're all laughing but turning away but then looking at him and then turning away when they get the chance to yeah and he's like submitting he's like four girls oh dear my favorite (laughs) line he says is he's in he's introducing himself and every time he says something they all sort of giggle and are like oh my god this is so awkward why is he still here yeah and then he goes I play the piccolo. <laughs> and they all lose it. And they're just like, oh my God. But we already get a sense that there's something, so you know, that he is smitten with Joe because... I think that was dreadfully brave or daring, whatever yes, he says. to chop yeah. down Grandpapa's favourite tree. Yeah. And then he he lifts it for them and he drags it off so he's barely Swings able to. Swings it all the way around. But yeah. barely able to. Mommy ends up reading the letter. Yep. Um, and then... You know, all, all, all the daughters are dismissed and she writes a response and she talks, you know, th- this is the song we get here alone. It's a really lovely song, uh, basically on how difficult it is to be a single mother. Yeah, because this is one of the things that makes this musical my favourite adaptation is that while we are following Joe's plot, we still need some of the internal narrative of the other characters. Yeah. And having this like mommy is constantly surrounded by other people we actually only see her on her own this one time and so you don't think about her as being on her own but she is yeah because being surrounded by your children is not the same as being supported as an adult you know 
Anyway, this song is heartbreaking and I this is where I start crying. <laughs> so. It is a really beautiful song. But again, one of the things, and we'll talk about this, well, I, I guess now's a good time to talk about this. The orchestration, because it is sublime, but one of the things I like is that the music is a really great blend of like old and new. Mm-hmm. And her song is very old, very, very classical. But then when we have Take a Chance on Me with it's Laurie singing. very upbeat and it he has does. quite a pop voice. It does and it feels very different, but it, it, it feels appropriate for this world. And I really liked that. So we go to Aunt March and we have this really nice moment where this... I love this with the set design here because we're staying in the same space and obviously... Because it's a thrust stage, you've not got a curtain that you could close. How you get things on and off stage, it's quite difficult with a thrust stage. Mm-hmm. So she has her maids. But the, nothing gets moved off stage, which I thought was really, really nice. We might get, you know, something. Yeah, there's um, father's chair, which is there all the time. Yeah. That just gets moved backwards yeah. a little bit. So we have things, but we also then have this little bird, bird box cage, yeah. descend which is great a really nice simple transition some a really really awesome bit of like technical work there and stage design mm-hmm. that i enjoyed um and, and we're now in her home yes and we get the scene where she basically says joe you're a disappointment mm-hmm. I, I don't want you to be you know joe anymore i want you to be a model lady of society because you embarrass me and if you do this, if you make these changes, I might consider taking you to Europe. Mm-hmm. And obviously Joe's quite hesitant, but it's the promise of Europe that means she's going to try to change. And I love the... You saying about the orchestrations. This song sounds so sinister. Mm. It has like Disney villain vibes. It is poor unfortunate souls, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> Where she's not saying anything wrong. I mean, she is. She's telling Joe to change everything about herself. But she's saying it from what she believes is, like, the greater good. The greater good. The greater good. But in the background, you've got this this orchestration that's, like, so sort of dark. Yeah. And you're just like, ooh, I like it. It's yeah. so nice. Also, Arch her... <laughs> is so great. Her costume was amazing. The costumes in all of this are amazing because they're so simple but also so, like, elegant. But... Mm-hmm. This one especially, like, she is dressed in the biggest... Well, she's in morning clothes. Yeah, but it's still, like, sparkly. Mm-hmm. Like, would put Priscilla's funeral scene to shame here. Yeah. Yes. Well, so I've been watching Downton Abbey recently, yeah. and every time they go into morning clothes, it's, like, the most over-the-top. It's, like, how can we look the nicest we possibly can yeah. whilst we're wearing black? Essentially. And it's the same here. Aunt March clearly is the height of fashion. Yeah. So during our finest dreams, each of the sisters said they had a dream that Joe said she would make happen. And we see that Meg's dream is being realised here because she had the dream that she wanted, she wanted to, go to go to the St. Valentine's Day ball. Yes. yes. And Joe has somehow made this happen. Out comes Meg in this really beautiful dress, but is all self-aware. Mm-hmm. Mommy says... You look exquisite. That dress looked half as good on me. Yes. It was the (laughs) the dress that she wore to her first ball. And this comes up over and over again as we go through this whole show. A lot in this scene, but later on as well. Is that they don't ever get anything new. Yeah. Even, so Meg as the oldest has her mother's hand-me-downs. And Jo has some things that were Aunt March's when she was younger. And then Beth and Amy get things that are 
cast-offs from Meg and Joe. Yeah. So none of them have ever had anything new, really. Yeah, and that's something that I forget because it just feels like they're a very capable family. You know, each of these girls has a talent of some sort. Obviously, some money has been yeah. spent on nurturing those talents you'd expect them to be a well-off family but they're not because if he's a chaplain and their father's a religious man who probably isn't taking a great wage yeah no he has no money their family has no money so aunt march is an heiress yeah mommy works for the local community doing like charitable things so she gets a bit of money that way but not a whole lot Mm mm-hmm Joe reads to Aunt March and helps tidy her house a little bit yes. for money. Meg Meg is a tutor and a governess to some local rich people's children, so she gets money that way. And Beth can't do any of those because things. Because she's too young. She's Well, no, it's because she's quite shy and yeah. frail. So she stays at home and cleans, and Amy's young enough that she's still at school. So their money is very, very, like, yeah. sparse. So I really like this because Meg is scared. You know, what is she to say when one of her potential suitors asks for a dance? I've been singing this song all week. Yes, and we get delighted. And and this is one where I really love the choreography because, again, it was simple, but you felt like this was a family, like a family in yeah, their living room. Yeah, you feel room. like you're looking through their window into the actual living room. It's not a highly choreographed dance. It's people actually dancing. Yeah. And it's dances that are similar to what they're going to be dancing yes. at the actual ball, but... The way that you would dance with your family yeah. in your house. We have Joe coming out saying in her dress that, like, <laughs> you look much better than me, don't we? She's still wearing her boots under her dress. Yep. Very much the same vibe that your wedding, you know, ensemble will look, I'm sure. Absolutely. With I'm the gonna exception... Have, I'm going to under my wedding dress. <laughs> with the exception of, I don't know if you will have a scorch mark on the a back patch. of your dress. Oh, my God. This is my favourite I noticed thing. it during the dance. I was giggling. Because Beth keeps grabbing it and being trying like, oh, to my sort God. It. But I was like, is that supposed to happen? And obviously it is. I think this song's an absolute delight. Yeah, so Joe has a habit of standing by the fireplace like the gentlemen do. Yes. However, the reason why gentlemen do that is because when you put when you sit down when you're wearing tails, you have to push the tails either side of your chair. Yeah. And it can cause them to like become damp essentially if they're like hanging down yeah. on the floor. So you stand by the fire to and you stand up. there and you let yourself dry and then you walk away. But Joe doesn't have tails to dry she wears a dress so she's standing by the fire and because of what her skirt's made out of the like crinoline starts to scorch yeah so she has this scorch mark but apparent in the in the book this happens to all of her dresses because she just does it all the time yeah but the other thing i love with the dress that she's wearing we get this with other ones later but she has two flowers sort of where her hips are and she can tuck the front parts of her dress in so that they stay up so that she can move properly yeah. however then when she's at the ball they're both down so that she's wearing a proper the proper dress the way it should look which is i like that as a character thing for joe yeah we sing delighted meg despite dreaming about going to this ball is nervous it's very nervous and joe's like look <laughs> we'll have fun together that's yeah. what matters enter amy I'm ready. <laughs> and Amy is not going. She's it's the n- best way to finish that song. Yeah. She's not invited and she's not going. She's too young. And she throws a proper tantrum because Joe doesn't care about these sort of things. Why can't I go? And her mum tries to explain, it is not your turn yet. You will in time. Mm-hmm. 
she comes across. Yeah, she wasn't invited. It's, it's yeah. sort of the final word that Joe has. She's like, you you weren't invited. Yeah. But she takes Amy's fan and she's like, everyone should enjoy my beautiful fan. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, this scene makes me so angry at Amy. Yeah, it's supposed to. In a, no, and I think they do a really good job of it because Amy does just come across like this troll. I'm going to keep using that word and we'll explain why soon. But yes. it is nasty what she does. And it it does make her this really unlikable character for the bulk of it. Like, I, I, I don't care for her. Mm. I don't wish her well in the same way I do the other characters. I think you're supposed to have that kind of vibe from some of them. But it does also feel like a... This is what a family do. They try to hurt each other and, you know, they do these things. Yes. And this is here just to teach Joe to be more forgiving. Yes. I oh, personally, personally, I wouldn't forgive. But what happens is as everyone leaves. It's you, you can forgive, but don't forget that yeah. this happened. Amy takes Joe's writing and puts it in the fire. And it's the most evil thing anyone does in this show. Mm-hmm. Like, undoubtedly the most evil thing anyone does in the show. Anyway, we then go to the ball. Yes. And we have a very brief dance. We have... Uh, a quick little waltz, yeah. Yeah, very quick waltz. So everyone's in a mask, which is nice. This is where we get a Professor... Professor Bowers uh, return. Literally, but... <laughs> he's not as He's him. not as him. He's, he's in a mask for 30 seconds and then... Post ball. Nice way. I don't want to see the full ball. I like this. Yes, because uh, what they've actually done is they've stepped out of the ballroom because Joe tipped punch yeah. over another woman. And then Amy Moffat, whose ball it is, came up to comes up to Joe and is like, oh, can I help you, Sally, dear? Yeah. And Joe's like, who's Sally? I'm not Sally. Who Like, who does she it's think I dog. am? I'm Sally. And Meg's like, oh, I think that's her dog's name. Yeah. I love that. So Amy, are... Amy Moffat shows up a lot more, obviously, in other versions, but yeah. I like that she's not included in this. I don't think it's that important. No, we don't need to know it. And it's one of the things I really like about this show is the montage effect of it. They're just cutting forward and we're showing little slices of their life and it's done really well. So the, the reason why this is done in vignettes is because that's the way it's supposed to be taken in the book yeah. too. It's just snippets of their life as we go through it, leading up to... Well, catching back up to the start yeah, of the Yeah, and it's good. Show. It works very, very well. So they're complaining, and then Joe sits on Laurie. Yeah, and he passed out from all the dancing, yeah. so he was under some coats, which, like, one absolute party mood. Yeah. <laughs> so she apologises, he apologises, and out comes John Brooke, yes. who is Laurie's tutor, and he's telling Laurie off because... You know, he should not... be out meeting important people. Yeah, and he should be keeping up with his studies. You know, he's here as a favour to, you know, his his grandfather to help mm-hmm. his state because he's his mom and dad are dead. He's an orphan. Uh not officially because his grandfather adopted him. Yes, but you know he is, you know, all that Mister Lawrence has left. Yes, of the family. And he's so Mister Lawrence is Laurie's mum's dad. Yeah. Yeah. So he John is like, come on, come on. And as he leaves, meets Meg. Yeah, he accidentally takes Meg's dance card. And then yes. when he goes to give it back to her, he's like, oh my God, I love you. Yes. And they... This is cute. I really liked the guy who was playing Mr. Brooke. He's another one that like... Personally, I don't think Mr. Brooke gets enough 
story time no. in any version. But I just, I like him. So we have Lejeune Shepherd, who is playing Mr. Brooke. Mm-hmm. I think he's great. Another graduate of the Guildford School of Acting, another mm-hmm. GSA graduate, has been in Tina, the Tina Turner musical. Cool. Has been in the Book of Mormon at the Prince of Wales Theatre. I think you're right. One of, one of the only kind of critiques I would have of this show is the fact that we don't see more of Mr. Brooks and Meg's romance. Because every time he is on stage, he just comes across so genuine. Because so nice. he's a romantic as well. Yeah. They describe him as a romantic. And he comes oh, yeah, across... I love that. That while they're having this conversation, so they've just met and he's introducing... Laurie is introducing them, essentially. And Laurie goes, Mr. Brooks is a romantic. Yeah. And Joe immediately is like, oh, God. Yeah, I love the way she's just like, oh, my God. And she tries to rush Meg out of there, but Meg is... Cause Mr. She, Brooks asked, Meg's to, asked Meg to dance, and Joe's like, we have to go. We're meeting the other ladies yes, in the parlour. Because this, this fits Joe's priority of we're always going to be together. Yes. And obviously this is Meg now having a chance to have her own life. And I think that's part of the reason why Joe is so insistent that she goes to the party. I think deep down she knows. She wants to keep... Meg away from yeah, and Amy. Amy men. would encourage Meg. So we have this nice. They go off, and then Laurie confesses to Joe about you know I just want friends. Can we dance? Mm. And she replies like Chad that she don't dance. I love so this song. Take a chance on me. No relation. Um, opens with him. With the lines, I know I have no right, but sometimes late at night, I watch you in that attic, pacing back and forth like a maniac. Which it felt I very, and she's like, what? It felt very, and obviously this came first, but it felt Prince Hans of the Southern Isles. He is so, what do they call it? It's like the Disney ingenue boy. Yes. That's what he's like. You know, like skinny Hercules? Yeah. That kind of vibe. It's a really nice number. It's great. And, but yes, he. this is another one. He says, I should warn you. Oh, no. So first he says, I want a medal for dancing at school. And she's like, well, and I... And she's like, well, I don't dance and I have a patch on my dress, so we're not doing that. Yeah. And then this line comes up again later on. He says, take my word for it, dance with me. And by this time next year, every girl in Concord will be wearing a patch on their dress. Which is a running theme that anything she does is so He fashionable. says will be fashionable. But then she says, well, we can box if you like. And yeah. he's like okay well i should warn you i want a medal for boxing at school you have that annie get your gun dynamic of anything you can do i can do better i can do anything better than you yes which is very much the bond of their relationship and the crux of their relationship it's so siblingy like from the get-go it sums up exactly how joe sees him yes joe sees him as this little brother little brother character and nothing more Mm -hmm. but he doesn't so we move forward because uh, Meg has taken a turn whilst dancing. She and twisted her ankle, yeah. John has had to escort her back in with Laurie. <laughs> I love how quick, because uh, everyone's up and like, ooh, who's this this, this charming well, he man? He takes her shoe off for yes. her and then he's just holding it and he stood there and she's got her like shoeless foot. Yeah. Obviously she has stockings on, but she's just sat there and they're all just looking at him and then he like, hands her shoe yeah. back to her and is like and, and is quickly it. shooed out by uh joe. by joe mm. and then laurie is is there staying around for a little bit um and we talked about how nice, fantastic yeah. the evening was 
and everyone goes to bed and retires to bed. Mummy mm-hmm. says, don't sit up too long, Joe. And she goes, no, don't worry. I'm just going to put, put finishing touches on this story I've been writing. Yep. And Mommy says, well, could you put the fire out first? Please? And I think it's the perfect way to do it. I don't want to have her doing a scene where she's struggling to find a book. I just like the fact she stumbles across it by accident. Yes. So she she finds it in the fireplace and immediately starts screaming because she knows it wouldn't have been Beth. Yeah, so she, she knows. she immediately just screams for Amy. And Amy comes down like she's done nothing wrong. Oh, this is... I... Obviously, I'm furious. This is the worst thing she could have mm-hmm. done. But this is such a lovely bit of acting here. Yeah. Oh, this whole moment is is so well realised on stage. Joe, Joe's like, you burned my book. And Amy's like, yes, I burned it. And I'd do it again. <laughs> Say. But no. And, and you have uh, Mommy just standing and go, I am so sorry, Joe, that she's done this. Amy, I am incredibly disappointed in you. But... Well, so Joe says, I should choke you. Yeah. And Amy goes, go ahead. I Bear my throat to you. Yeah, like this stupid little teenage <laughs> girl who has no so idea. Funny. But this is it. She becomes more likable for me. It's not like Florence Pugh. We are like, I, you are dead to me and I hate you. She is a child and she has made a huge mistake. Yeah, she's like 15, 14 she or 15. Is, she is a child and she's that kind of emo face, you know? Like she's just like, everyone hates me. I want more responsibility and you don't let me so you deserved it and well she like, says as much to mommy she says to her i want something of my own i have nothing yeah <laughs> and joe's like no i have nothing look at me like this yeah. dress wasn't mine yeah this book is the only thing i had and you burned it yeah, and like, amy's like no you have everything yeah and she says that she'll never forgive her and that she has only two sisters and and mommy is like listen you're allowed to be angry you're allowed to be upset but Mm -hmm. both of you will get over this yep i like it because it's the one time we see conflict really like and and i like that it's not everything is perfect we need some kind of conflict with these four girls growing up together yeah she (laughs) one of the things i love is the fact she says amy's not a child but a demon in a child's body yeah oh yeah because mommy tries to be like look she's just a kid she's not a kid She's a demon Demon. in a child's body. Yeah. And then Joe rushes up to her attic to rewrite her story. And this is when we get the really brilliant, like, beautiful digital backdrop of the snow coming down. Yeah, because she looks up out of the window and you're you're supposed to understand she's been writing for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, this is Valentine's Day. It's not days. This is months. Yeah. That that was Valentine's Day where that happened. If it is now snowing... I mean, it could be early March weather. Massachusetts. Yeah, okay, fine. fine. You're thinking about it in English terms. I am thinking about it in English terms. I rescind my criticism of you and your point. But yeah, it's now snowing and we have Laurie comes out who's like, I'm, I want a medal for skating. And, and, and <laughs> she says, well, off you go then. I'm going to give you a head start because I'll still beat you because we have the... Annie, get your gun. Yeah, we have a thing later where she she describes him as the boy who has valiant, valiantly lost all contests to her. Yes. At this point, we're no longer watching Little Women. Mm-hmm. We're watching Andrew Lloyd Webber's Starlight Express. <laughs> yeah, because we have Brooks and Meg come in on skates. skates. <laughs> and I love that. I thought it was very, very cool that they just skate around the stage for a bit and then off they go. Mm-hmm. Uh we have Amy complaining to Beth that, you know, 
she doesn't talk to me anymore. I made a mistake, but I drew a beautiful picture of her and she hasn't spoken to me. Can I borrow your skates, please, so that I can go join her? And Amy gets Beth's skates and off she goes. Mm -hmm. And then Beth is sat playing the piano, which is horribly out of tune. And Mr. Lawrence comes in angry. I want to speak to my grandson. And he's over here with you awful, dreadful girls. And she's just sat there like wide-eyed and scared. <laughs> Why is this man talking to me? He's in our house. Yep. And he basically says to her, well, go on, play that piano then. And she plays, he goes, oh, it's an awful sound. It's so out of tune. I didn't say stop. And they've talked about how he has this really beautiful piano that she can see through the windows. Yeah, he says, so you're, you must be the one that Laurie says wants to play my piano. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'd like that more than anything. And he's like, well, you can't. Because I've lost the key. Because it was my dead daughter's. Yeah, and nobody's played it since her. And, and then, then he... so she plays off to Massachusetts. And stops and is really scared. And he's like, do I scare you? <laughs> she says, yes. What? Why? I love this. That might have something to do with your face, sir. <laughs> so cute. They talk about the hard face. Mm -hmm. And he softens. And she keeps playing the song and she's stammering she doesn't know. She forgets the lyrics. And yeah. then he just stands by her. And this is so cute. We're right by the actors at this point. They are on our side of the stage, like literally right in front of us. They are, you know, <laughs> go back to social distancing. <laughs> We're probably closer than we should have. That's mm. how close we are to them. And it's great. Like, it really is like this phenomenal atmosphere. Yeah. And you just see him in front of us and you see him just sing. Well, what's really nice is so... The song she's singing, it's supposed to be like a little folky yeah. tune that she knows. But the line that she forgets, she says she doesn't know the lyrics. And before he starts joining in with the song, he huffs and he's like, the lyrics that she's forgotten is, while while we wait, we'll poker for the folk along the parapets. Yeah. Which is, first of all, really difficult to say. But the way that he says it with his deep, like, Saruman is like the best casting for this guy. Right. And what him saying that, I actually like laughed yeah. out loud in the quiet, tiny theatre that we were in. And then he goes and joins in singing with her. But it's just so nice. And it's one of my favourite moments of the entire show. Because mm. it's this really nice moment where she comes more to life. And we see Beth. But we see the impact that Beth has on other people that she melts like this icy facade he has and brings out the joy and music that he's clearly lost because he's he's lost his daughter yeah you know we hear it from mommy later about the heartbreak that a parent shouldn't outlive their child mm -hmm. he's done the same and it is this really nice moment where we have them both playing the piano and singing together and he ends by saying i'm see if i can find that key come over tomorrow and play my piano mm -hmm. and it's a really really nice moment and then he leaves and in comes Laurie, Joe, and Amy. Amy has fallen through the ice. Laurie has rescued her. And Joe is so angry because she nearly lost Amy mm -hmm. while still being angry at her. And leads to her forgiving. Yeah. Really, really. Yeah, because really Amy said they haven't spoken to each other in three weeks. Yeah. So that's quite a nice moment. We go back to them acting in coming up with more of the performance because laurie is the one who actually saved amy yeah. and joe says she was frozen she couldn't do anything to help she just watched this happen yeah and fortunately laurie was there to help and so because of that 
she's like, well, that's it. You're one of us yeah. now. You're stuck with us forever. You are our brother. Yes. That's how she phrases it. And she puts on, they say to him, come bear our royal coat of arms. And so they, they tie a scarf around him like a sash and they put the little tricorn hat on him and give him a little wooden sword. Yeah, because he's and basically he like, Rodrigo now. Yeah, well, so they knight him into their family. Yeah, which is a really... And this song's great. I loved Five Forever. Mm-hmm. Their um, little dances that they do in this. Again, it's just like normal human people. Like, obviously it's choreographed, but it's just the way that, you know, people would dance like this. Yeah. We then kind of get into the, the big climax of Act 1. Yeah, they get a telegram. They get a telegram that Dad is sick. So, Mum is going to, to nurse him. He's got pneumonia. She doesn't want to leave without checking, without saying goodbye to Joe. And Joe is trying to get money. Joe is supposedly gone to Aunt March to get money. But Aunt March is on the way over here because she's going to be taking care of Amy. Yeah, Amy's going to live with her because she's too young Yes. to be under the care of just her sisters and... Mommy knows what Amy's like. Exactly. So they're all waiting. You've got Laurie helping pack bags because, you know, this nice motif of him carrying everything for Amy. I love this motif. It's everywhere. <laughs> Laurie is weak. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the way through the show. It's great. And then you have Mr. Lawrence Sharp as well to help and just say, is everything okay? He says will... he'll check in on the he girls. He says he'll check in on the girls. Mummy is starting to panic because Joe's not arrived yet. Joe comes in with her hood up. And they say, you know, did you get the money for Mark March? I, I I was late because I just couldn't ask. Well, did you ask? No, I didn't ask. I couldn't. So I tried to sell my stories. No one was buying anything. So I cut my hair and everyone sees the short hair. And everyone's like, oh my God, your hair. Do you know what? It's not that bad. It looks I know really that good. the point is cutting your hair is like an unsavory thing yes. to do. However, the wig that she's wearing is for a very this good scene wig. is like a bob. Yeah. It's like a really well cut bob. <laughs> And I like it. And I like Mommy's curled as yeah. well. Mommy's reaction of I am so proud of you. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for putting our family first and I love you and I'm so proud of you. Yeah. And thank you for this. She sets off. Mm-hmm. Aunt March shows up and is horrified yep. at the hair. Laurie is in it as well, I think, at this point and says, he says by he's next got season. A whole new trend. Yeah, and but she's, she's like, like shut, shut up. up. Aunt March says that after everything after they, they had their deal where if Joe would fix her behaviour, Aunt March would take her to Europe. And, the, and, and this go, this is it. That's, that's her last straw. And Joe says, but I've done this. I've held my tongue. I've done this. I've done X, Y, Z. I've done everything you've asked. The, the, the conversation is not closed because I am opening it. And she storms off. But it's very clear now that her focus is on Amy, that Amy will be the one. You know, she... To uh, elevate the family, yeah. Exactly. And she leaves. And we are then left with Mr. Brooke coming in to speak to Meg. Because mm-hmm. he has received a letter that he's going to be enlisted in the Union Army. We have this nice moment where he's like, I, I, I've got something to say to you. And he says, I am not a handsome man. You are very handsome. And we get nice pauses. I am not a wise man. You're very wise. I like this one. He really seems nice. to be getting a little bit annoyed that she's interrupting him, but it's like in a cute way where he's like, no, I'm trying to say this. But through the song More Than I Am, he proposes. Meg says yes. And I thought this is very weird because... He's not asked dad. He's not asked her mum. Mm-hmm. There is no adult there to supervise her. She's just accepted. I'm sure there was more... At this more... point, she's an adult. But, but I'm he, sure there yeah. was a conversation that should have been had at this time. So it struck me as possibly placed wrong. I don't know. But, you know. No, no. So this is just... We just don't have the time for this yeah. plot line with 
Brooks and Meg, other than that, she loves him and they're going to get married. Yes. Despite the fact that she's the oldest and she should be elevating their family. Yeah. So she, I believe in the book, she doesn't agree to marry him until he gets back. Yeah. But, you know, he goes off to war and he writes to her all the time, five times a day. Yeah. Uh, and he meets her father at war and basically and is like becomes his like right hand man kind yeah. of thing and then when they come back he asks permission and the dad is like yeah that's fine cool i don't mind that it's rushed here i just thought like it was possibly out of place you know within the plot but yeah but because in this version we never see uh mr march we Which actually I think never is a really meet good father. choice yeah um it's not really necessary. Yeah. Like, it's not the end of the world that he doesn't ask permission, especially because they're in love. Yeah. I liked this song. I thought it was a really nice romantic song. Mm. He leaves and Meg tells the news and Joe is furious because you are leaving us. You promised us you would always be us for you're leaving us. And Meg says, not breaking my promise. I want to have a life. Why can't you be happy for me? Mm-hmm. And we start to see Joe really getting angry. And at this point then, Laurie confesses his feelings for joe with take a chance on me reprise he kisses her and she's angry we had the best or this is my favorite audience reaction to anything for this whole show so laurie kisses joe she like shoves him away yeah and is like what was that and he goes it's a kiss and she was like i know it was a kiss why did you do that and he goes it was my first kiss and everyone (laughs) laughed yeah and, but it wasn't the laughing that was the best reaction. It was that a bunch of people went, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but not like a, ah. Oh. It was like a, oh, honey. <laughs> oh, yeah. I liked it's it. so funny. And she says that she will never marry, not just Laurie, but she'll never marry. And I says, no. Oh, this makes me so mad. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm a petty human being. Yeah. I will own to that. It's definitely my hubristic I have noticed. Flaw. I'm a petty, petty bitch. <laughs> The fact that she says to him, I will not marry. That's not who I am. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And he's like, yes, you will. Just it not won't me. be me, but you will marry. Just You just won't marry me. And he's mad about it. And then he leaves. And then the story ends with her doing that. Yeah. And by that point, obviously, Laurie is in love with Amy. It's not an issue anymore. But by the time we get to that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> steaming. I am the kind of person who would be like, just to spite you, I will never marry anyone. How dare yeah. you say that I'm lying? But yeah, it's a really <laughs> it's nice so number. Funny. And I really love the book ending of you have the two engagements back to back and you, ha- you know. The difference. Between yeah, exactly. Two, yeah. You know, um, and then we end with astonishing. So Joe's recognizing that her future is changing and she is going to find a way to achieve it and she's going to go to mm-hmm. new york and she's going to make it as a writer yes she packs up all her stuff and goes and i think it's a really great ending you know as she goes through the the door and that's it i think you know what's very clear is that joe is her own worst enemy and also a hypocrite but not in a nasty way it's like at this point she expects everybody around her because they promised to be together forever she expects everyone around her to be unchanging yes and doesn't realize that she is allowed to change. That's fine. Yeah. You're allowed to change as you grow up. You don't have to keep the same ideals your whole yeah. life. But this is it. But it's also how you know how dare you change your life? You're letting us down. Well, see you later, because I'm off to New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is a very hypocritical thing, but it is that kind of like folly of this innocence and this hubris of the character, where she's like, you know, because I'm off. 
yeah well she so she can't deal with all this change that's going on around her but in order to be able to deal with it she makes a change for herself so she has to go to new york yeah and then we come back and we are now caught up we're we're, we're back to the start yeah. you know there's been some progression since that first number because we go back to uh Mrs. Kirk's boarding house. Yes, we have <laughs> Aunt March is now in a, a different role. A multi-role character, yeah. I assume as one of the boarding staff. No, she is Mrs. Kirk. Oh, she is Mrs. Kirk. And she's very excited because there's been a telegram. Yes. A telegram? A, a telegram. telegram. <laughs> there has been a telegram for you, Miss Joe. Emma Ma, a telegram. And, but, but there's some gossip because, oh, well, you and this, this Joe are uh, Yeah, except you've got to do the accent. Ah, well, you and this Joe are as thick as thieves. She wasn't Australian. I don't know what was she. Irish. She was Irish. She was Irish. Oh, you and Miss Josephine are very thick as thieves, aren't you? Yeah. You've been going after the plays, haven't <laughs> Whatever you? Whatever you say, Mister Toad. <laughs> but yeah, and 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 Professor Bow is a little bit like I, I I do not know what you mean. Yes, he said he keeps telling Miss Kirk that like for some reason everybody's under the impression that him and Joe have like taken a liking to each yes. other, but that Joe doesn't seem to realise he exists. So he's almost admitting to liking yes. her. And then she walks I'll in. I look to like if looking, liking, love. Yeah. He walk, <laughs> Joe walks in straight up to Miss Kirk and he's like, have you seen Professor Bauer? And she's like, he's behind you. Yeah. Oh, no, he isn't. Yeah. We're actually going to go see a pantomime soon. Yeah. Very, very, very excited. excited. We're going to go see uh, Snow White and we will release a review. Not in the same way. We'll do a bonus episode where we talk about pantomime. Yes, indeed. Uh, very, very excited. I've not seen a pantomime since I think the year Frozen came out. So 2013. When I was at university, which is, yeah. what, five years ago, six years ago now. Yeah, so, so it's quite a while for both of us, nearly. Yeah. Uh, but I really like this moment. So so she's talking about how she has made her first sale as an author. And he's a little bit, someone sports your blood and guts stories. No, but yes, but I made some changes, like you suggested I listened to. And we go into the Weekly Volcano Press. Yes, yeah, she talks about Henry Dashwood, who is the... Henry Dashwood? Oh, that's so weird. I've just realised. So, so Henry Dashwood in this, this is a really random point, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Henry Dashwood in this is the, the publisher of Weekly Vol Volcano Press. It is also the name that Colin Firth's character has in What a Girl Wants. <laughs> He's called Henry Dashwood. Very cool. That's super weird. I'm sure that's not on purpose. But I really like this moment. This whole song is great because we were getting the story of the sale... But we're also getting the re-edited story and it reprises, it bookends the opening really, really well because we have the same moments where she's speaking the lines mm -hmm. over the, 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 the character scene and we have the same opening. But what I really like here is that now I'm watching this and I'm noting, huh, so Meg is playing this damsel character and then you've got John Brooks is the, the violent man that's trying to rob her of her innocence and you've got... Rodrigo is played by Laurie. Laurie. So I like the idea that the way she views her story is like this story is very much come from her yeah, family. She doesn't know how to write a story that isn't about people she actually knows. Yes. Because she's been doing plain pretend with her sisters for so long, Meg is always the damsel. So therefore, if she's the damsel, that makes Brooks the fiend who's stealing her away from her family and then yeah. oh well we have to have a male hero so i guess the only guy who i know who's nice is laurie despite the fact that at this point she's like 
trying to replace Laurie in her And trying head. to move past him because, like, you know, he broke the pact as well. So, yes, you've got Sir Braxton Prendergast. Yep. Is Mr. John Brooke. And you've got Rodrigo is Laurie. And you have Meg being the protagonist, Clarissa. What I also like is that as the story progresses, we have this hag. It feels re- it feels a real shame that, the you know, Marmy plays the hag, but the hag is the one who gives the advice. Ha- but the advice that the hag gives is advice that Marmy always gives. So you have to give up vanity to yeah. find out who, you're, who you will truly be. Exactly. <laughs> this is the best casting. And I think this is hilarious mm-hmm. because one of the things that, you know, Clarissa has to do on her journey is give up an item of worth mm-hmm. to this nasty little troll that won't let her pass. Yep. And who does Joe see as a little troll? <laughs> Amy. Amy. It's great. And I loved the performance that uh, this song... Amy gave during this bit. So, yeah. you know, the way Mary Moore comes across as this little troll character is very, very fun at this point. Yeah, and she does her little troll voice, which is nice. The troll voice, the troll like squatting and dancing was, mm-hmm. uh, was a lot of fun. You have Mr. Lawrence being this knight character yeah. that ultimately is like, you can save yourself. And because mm-hmm. you showed me kindness, I will give you the tools to defend yourself. Gives her the sword and empowers her. And we get some awesome stage combat here as they're like dancing. And oh my days, I'm so scared watching this because they're, they're fighting with these swords. And you've got Joe jo telling got this story. Yeah. She's dancing, she's moving. And it, she's... And it's so in time, and the, the, the choreography of this moment is so spectacular. But because you're so close, there's a, there's that element of like, oh my god, oh my god, Please oh my god. Careful, Please yeah. be careful. Well, so this fight scene is really funny because it ends with Clarissa is unarmed by was it Pendergast? Pen- yeah, Pendergast. Prendergast. Prendergast. And the reason why she's unarmed is like Joe is as she's telling the story. She's like she parries she swashbuckles yeah she's unarmed it's a shame she never took dueling lessons (laughs) and then who should appear but rodrigo in magnificent splendor which we keep getting the reprise of rodrigo in magnificent splendor but it's not rodrigo it's rodrigo too yes and this version of rodrigo is beth yeah who is the bright light for everyone pendergast's worst nightmare yeah i am her sister (laughs) and then they fight to the death obviously yes and I really like this whole moment. And this whole song is great. And it's really triumphant. And you feel very proud of her for making her first sale. Uh, Professor Bowers really, really proud as well. They're all celebrating. So pleased and in all, all the hullabaloo, they completely forgot that there was this telegram. Mm-hmm. And she reads it and she learns that Beth has scarlet fever and immediately packs her bags. And it's a shame because Professor Bowers said, well, to celebrate, we, we should go somewhere. And she's like, are you asking me out to dinner? <laughs> no, yes, yes. Yeah, and but has to immediately leave and she says sorry and she says, remind the kids to read. And you, you sense, and this is where I was like, I, I definitely remember the ending now. And you felt, you did feel that he had lost something great. Poor Professor Bauer is like on the cusp of something. And, yeah, you know. He doesn't have a whole lot else going on. No. Yeah, so Beth has scarlet fever. Yes. Yeah, so Beth has scarlet fever and everyone's coming in except Amy because Amy's in Europe Mm -hmm. and everyone's in and they're all helping and she they bring her in to sit at the piano and she looks frail. She can't. She's gone backstage and put some like talcum powder on her face. Her face is pale, she does not look well. Her the gait, the way she's you know, her demeanour, everything about her, this is not the same Beth. 
from before. And if you don't know this show, it's very easy to see that something is taking a turn at this point mm. and you're going to watch it and you're going to be like, Beth's not getting any better. It's time to put the book in the fridge. Yeah. And Beth's ill. Into the freezer it goes. Yeah. This whole show in the freezer. But they, they, they brought her in. They've closed her, you know, blindfolded her because we've got a surprise. You go, oh, is it Amy? Is Amy back? And Joe's like, no. But they open the eyes and they see that it's Mr. Lawrence's grand piano is now there. Piano forte, yeah. And it's hers. He said, this is now your piano. And she sits and she plays it and they do Massachusetts. But again. And they all sing it together, but Joe can't join in because it's too hard. So she leaves. Yeah, because she knows that it, it is too painful and she. She doesn't want to deal. This is such, again, another really beautiful moment. And you're like, oh, this, like, you know, she's improved Mr. Lawrence's life. Mm -hmm. Like, he's softened. He's got hope again. And it's such a shame that the character who gave him hope after the death of his daughter is this character who's dying. And you feel so bad because, like, you know, he's watched one loved one die. He's now watching another one. And Mm -hmm. he's doing all he can. I think he knows. He, and I think, I think Mommy knows. They know that she's not going to make it. Mommy certainly does, but she's holding on to hope. Yeah, and Mr. Lawrence knows, and he's making her final days as pleasant as possible by giving the piano. Yes. But Joe does not know. She so writes. She writes to Mr. Bauer and says that to using her twenty-five dollars that she got for her first advance, I believe that's what it was yeah. anyway, off the top of my head. She's going to take them to Cape Cod, which yeah. is somewhere they always dreamed of going. But it's essentially to get the sea air to bolster her and make her feel a bit better. Yes. <laughs> they tried that on me as a child. It didn't work. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, but yes, and then he gets the note asking him what's new in New York and he struggles to write that decent response. I love this song. Oh, it's this song was so, so funny. fun. And and again, like you, you really know that there He's is something. so in love with her. Yeah, he is. And much more than Laurie, who is in love with the idea of being in love. There feels like a much more genuine connection here. Yeah, because Laurie just... Laurie's is like co- a true codependency. He <laughs> cannot do anything without Joe's approval. Oh, yeah, it's Venom and Eddie Brock, isn't it? It's just kind of like, I need you. Yeah. I don't like, love you. I he mean... doesn't know how to exist without Joe around. Yes. Whereas... And he needs to like go away and learn from that, which is what he does. Good for him. Whereas Professor Bauer has lived a life without Joe and now realises how much better... His life is. would be better with her there, yeah. but he doesn't need her. No, but he wants her there. He yes. can still live his life, but he recognises life will be better for having her around. Mm-hmm. I loved his song. I loved How I, I Am. I love him. <laughs> Yeah. He's so great. Great job. Like, absolutely. Like, I, I've said this. I, I wanted more from Ryan Bennett because he did such a good job. But Yeah, you wanted to see more of him. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. and it, But I think, I've said it already, but we really care about this character at this point. Yeah. Like, you, you get a sense, and there is no other version that does this as well, in my opinion, of being inside of his head... And understanding how much he's missing from Mm -hmm. his day-to-day life because she's not here. Yeah. Which, obviously, musical theatre lends itself to because we can have a song from his perspective where he tells us exactly how he's feeling. Whereas if you did that in a movie and he just stood there and looked at the camera for a couple of minutes and just told you, it's very quiet here now. I'm finding the absence of noise very confusing and maybe I'm in love with her and maybe I need her around. And, like, him being bumbling and not knowing what to say yeah it wouldn't work 
But this is perfect. And the performance of this was perfect. But especially as he leaves the stage, and this is a moment where, like, we have some beautiful, like, technical design, is the lights dim and he's silhouetted as he kind of says, like, signs off. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves. But the silhouette as this final image of him. Like, if you never saw him again... It'd be sad, It'd yeah. be a really poetic ending. Yeah, this it's... thing of, like, Joe... Because this could be Joe losing him forever. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was fantastic. Like, this is one of those moments where that silhouette... There's loads of nice moments with the silhouette. Mm-hmm. But this is one that really stuck with me. I thought yeah. it was beautiful. Well, so Joe, after this point, doesn't go back to New York again. Yeah. So that could be it for him. Exactly. So we are now in Cape Cod and oh my god before this song even started i was like (laughs) holding both your hands feeling you sobbing so the song was about to happen it's called some things are meant to be i cry listening to this song you're gonna cry talking about it i'm sure probably let alone watching it and i I really might be the first time we have tears on this podcast probably not oh i don't think we've cried whilst talking before While describing something oh well <laughs> enjoy the sound of me sobbing through trying to explain how beautiful this song is because yeah. i don't know what it is right well, I before we start with that can with... i just have a, a moment to just complain about theater etiquette because this is a really beautiful moment oh my god <laughs> this is a really beautiful moment but you unfortunately had two people in the front row of the audience, right directly in front of the actors, like they are in front of the stage. They've, they've not got a side on view, they are facing it. And you have two people rustling bags and sweets during this song. Yeah. And... People putting their coffee cups on the stage as yeah. well. I was like... If... And luckily someone said to, t- to undo that before know, the show began. But, but they did shit. it again during yeah. the show. If, and I'm sorry, but if I was an actor, I would have kicked it off the stage. No, I know. And and, and I don't want to get too much into the theatre etiquette conversation. I've tweeted my thoughts on it in replying to other people who are talking about theatre etiquette. But this moment, this moment, you have these performers singing their heart. And I'm going to let you talk about this moment first, but I just wanted to rant a little bit and you hear the rustling of sweets well so the most the most annoying one and we skipped over it at the end of act one is during astonish astonishing was starting yeah. and you've got the beginning part where it's all sounds like a train building up steam yeah. and joe's singing and she's angry and somebody directly behind us yeah started opening a like a cellophane wrapped sandwich or something but it was, and it was going on for the oh whole song oh my god I, I'm not good with confrontation, but I was getting so wound yeah, up. Yeah, same. And and the the fact is that with... Such a small theatre. But, but during this moment that we're talking about now, the fact that this person was kind of diagonal 10 metres across from us mm. and we could hear it, you know... The that actors can hear it. Everyone yeah. in... it Based on where their proximity is, because they are centre, based on like the proximity we are, everyone in that theatre could be able to hear that and the, the actors could hear it. And... I think somebody turned and said, because I then noticed during this song mm. that they were kind of, the people were kind of like laughing awkwardly at this person who had told them not to. Yes, that annoyed me as well. I was like, dude, this girl is dying on stage yeah. and you're sitting having a giggle. Like, and come on. And you've got this really beautiful moment on stage and I think it's just disrespectful to, you know, the performers as a whole. Anastasia Martin as Beth just gives the performance of a lifetime here like it is heartbreaking she's in a wheelchair and i'm just left being like i'm you know this moment is when i'm really and and 
I'm going to stop talking about this in a moment, but I just think theatre etiquette since lockdown has gotten so much worse. We are not in cinemas. This theatre was yeah, not you selling You are not food. on your own. You are around other people. Yeah. yeah. So the Park Theatre was not selling food. They didn't even have nibbly bits. Like somebody, when we were in there, because we got there quite early. Yeah. I actually heard somebody ask at the bar, oh, do you have any like crisps or snacks or anything? And the bar were like, no, we don't do that here. Yeah. And I was like, good. So, so many people must have nipped around to the like Sainsbury's down the road or something. Yeah, and bought stuff. The thing that they were rustling during this song was like, you know, the big packs of buttons, yeah. things like that. And like cellophane wrapped stuff. Somebody in front of us was eating blueberries. Yeah. Whole... But they stopped. That was during the interval. That was during least. the interval. But even then I was like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in public. Yeah. Somebody sitting in the theatre eating a whole tray of blueberries. I, I mean, this is it. it. annoys me in the cinema when it's hot food. I used to work at Cineworld. I stopped a small teenage girl from smuggling a large pizza hut oh, pizza, pizza under her t-shirt. Like she had a box shape. I stopped that because like smelly food. If you want to bring in some popcorn from Asda, go ahead. I think theatres need to stop selling food. Same. I and don't I, understand. And I think there needs to be a, you, you don't eat during performances. Drinks is fine. Like, by all means, but... But there's a reason why they don't give you glass to take into the theatre. Yeah. It's because if you drop it, it's loud. Yeah. And, and we saw that with The Office. <laughs> you know, when Michael Scott brings a oh, bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, it is just a conversation needs to be had about theatre etiquette post-lockdown. Because this was the most important moment of this play. And... Yes, yeah, Joe's turning point. The lack of respect shown to these performers, I think, speaks volumes. It's not so much me as the audience member. It's respect for... It, it, it's respect for these, these performers who are... Who are... Bearing their souls to us. Mm. Anyway, talk about this moment. So... I have a big thing in every kind of media where if you give me a character who like reaches a point where they're like, I am ready to die. Yeah. Um they I'm like emotionally wrecked. <laughs> I can't deal with it. And like that's from my own background trauma, I'm yeah. sure. But oh my god, this one's the worst one because we have this whole the whole scene, not just the song. So Mommy is there as well. She's pushing Beth in her wheelchair. They're here for Beth to convalesce. She She's trying to get better. Yeah. Because she's past the scarlet fever now. But she's still weak. Yeah, she's really weak. And Mommy says to her, promise me that you will keep fighting to get past this. And Beth just looks at her and she can't. But both of them know. Yeah. Both of them know. Yeah, Mommy then... knows that she can't. But as they're having this conversation, Joe runs in with the kite and Mommy looks at Beth and is like... I know. She understands, but she also realises that Beth's going to have to try and explain it to Joe. So she leaves the two of them. She's like, oh, go and write to your father how beautiful this place is. Yeah. See you later. So she leaves. And Joe is trying to just like... Be Joe about it. Like, I will fix you. Don't, you know, don't worry. Yeah, she has this thing of, she says, uh, give me a task to do and I'll do it. And she obviously just replaces any kind of emotional stuff that she has to deal with, with being busy. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> if it works, it doesn't. But, you know, you try. And so they sing this song about 
like all the games they played when they were a kid and they play their imagination game essentially like pretending they're flying one of the lines in the song is about how they'd just spend if they could they'd just spend every day doing only the things that they wanted to and every version of this i've ever seen the actors always look really sad when they say that line yeah because they like beth and joe both know that that isn't something they will ever be able to do because they are not rich enough to do that meaning that Beth, Beth knows that she's going to die, but Joe starts to get the hint of it. But then we get the 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 bit that makes me like ugly cry is when <laughs> Beth says, "Let me go now." Yeah. And then you're like, "Oh god, okay, cool, 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 cool." She's just going to die now. This yeah. is fine. They go to the back of the stage, and the kite flies. Yeah, they let go. Of this that was kite, great. And it was it was really beautiful because the kite. Flies up into the rafters, rafters. but it gets away from Joe. Yeah, and she goes. She runs after it and tries to bring it back, and she can't get it. And then when she turns around, Beth is dead. Oh, is dying, or certainly like has collapsed. And she's in the middle, like upstage, right in the middle of the doorway. And all you hear is the door shuts, and we have silence and nothing on stage for the for the the longest time we haven't had in the show before. Yeah, and this is when I made screaming, going, "Mommy, mommy, mommy!" mommy." And it is a a really powerful moment. The whole song is great, and it is... This is where I made eye contact with the other audience yeah. member who was also ugly crying. I, I mean, this is where we see, you know, Lydia White, where we see Savannah Stevenson, who's Marmy, where we see Anastasia Martin, who's Beth, just emotional peaks from these characters and, like, mm-hmm. powerhouse performances here, yeah. you know, of dealing with grief. We get a nice... I think before we go into the big grief moments and dealing with it, we, we get the nice respite of amy comes back and amy's obviously very very devastated that she couldn't be here but yeah so amy says she's so sorry that she wasn't here to say goodbye to beth yeah and joe and mommy are like no she knew how much you wanted to be in europe she understood like she loves you more than anything yeah so it's okay and amy bought Beth a metronome from Venice she says which probably means it's like a handmade she says there's not another one like it in the world so they put it on top of the piano yeah which is really lovely and you get a nice moment where they're talking Joe just looks at it and emptily looks at it and it's it's powerful Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) mommy goes off and Laurie comes in carrying Beth's luggage again again as always his job (laughs) yeah he actually pops it down by the piano and does trip over he it during over the next it song so and, it was, and, and if it was in character it was perfect because it's such a lorry thing to do if not i was like oh my god but like luckily it didn't fall such a lorry thing but to do. it's during this moment he's alone talking with joe amy comes back and then they're like have you told her laurie no. says did you tell her and then they argue over who's gonna tell her and joe's just like so when did you get engaged yeah who proposed to whom and they're like oh we were trying to be so discreet and everyone laughs obviously because yeah. they're not at well it's all. just the three of them on stage yeah but no like the audience yeah laugh. And, and this is it it's a really nice one it's a nice song the most amazing thing i really like this song i do have two questions yeah does amy ever know that laurie once proposed to joe because this version is not made clear does she know that laurie once proposed to joe in the book Yes, and they also reference it in the okay. Greta Gerwig film, Gerwig movie, because Does... uh, that's why. So Joe takes off to New York, and Laurie takes off to the continent. Yeah, you know he's in Europe, um, and then when he bumps into her, obviously he's been messing around in Europe, 
being a flirt essentially mm-hmm. because he's got nothing else to do with his and time and all they had to deal with their grief about beth was, was each, each other and that's where they kind of noticed yeah and he fell in the water and she rescued him in a nice mm-hmm. reprise of the whole but they also like they find out they have so much in common with each other they yeah. both have felt lonely for most of their life which is sad yeah but like it's nice that they have each other kind of thing now my other question was do you think he's used the same ring I hope not. He's 100% used the same ring. I I hated this line, right? Earlier, when he proposed to Joe, he says this line to her and he says, I took a part of my inheritance and I bought you this ring. Yeah, so he's used the same ring. Which just makes me think he spent way too much money on this ring. Also, he comes across a very nice guy in the yeah. sense of it's, it is emotional blackmail towards Joe. It's like, I've done this, so you can't really say no. She doesn't care. You know? And it, it makes me like Laurie less because it is, by modern standards, this nice guy move. It's like, but I I gave you my friendship. Now you must give me your love. Yeah. If you marry me, I'll take you anywhere you want to go. But Amy never needed any of that. Yeah. Amy doesn't need anything from him. She's just always been in love yeah. with him, which I think you get from the beginning as well. Yeah. Which is cute. Well, yeah. So And, and we never get any will they, won't they at this point. You know, we know... F- that the door on Laurie and Joe is shut. It was always shut. It yeah, was never yeah, yeah. Open. But like you know, there's no. I I, I remember from the Greta Gerwig film. Joe oh God! Don't even start yeah, on that. I'm, we're not going to talk. I'm going to be it. so yeah. angry. But I remembered Joe kind of being guilty and being like, maybe I should have just married you. And him like, I will ditch your sister for you. Just tell me the word. I'm glad mm. that doesn't happen here. So this is where we get. The tour de force from Joe and Mommy. They're yes. grieving Beth's oh death. And, and Joe just says to Mommy, it's like, I care. How can you stand here? Like, everything is okay. And Mommy goes into this beautiful yeah. song where it's days of plenty. And the fact that she is broken, but she has to keep going. Well, she, she also references the fire, yeah. which has been mentioned a couple of times in regards to Joe. Joe has this fire inside of her, this passion yeah. that causes like all of her problems, essentially. And Mami here references that she also always has had this fire, but she puts it towards things that she can actually do. Yeah. And like she, she pours all of that passion into her family. And she's basically saying to Joe, like, look, you've got the family part down. You just need to put the family part into your fire. Like yeah. Beth will always exist in your work. But this is where we also had the digital backdrop. So where we've had like birds for Cape Cod or the snow. Oh yeah, there's like a storm. It became this is frozen yeah. just like it did in Drury Lane, like with the cracking. Yeah. It's just like, huh, okay. Um, I liked it though. And, and it's a really, really powerful song. Like the grief of both of them. And like Joe just having this breakdown and sobbing. And I'm sat there thinking, God, this Poor, poor family. Mm-hmm. It's such a great number. And it I, just, my heart broke for the characters. And then, yeah, we do, you know, we go onto the fire within me. So Joe realising her sisters are always with her. Mm-hmm. And this is where she starts to write her new novel, Little Women. And realising that this is the story and, you know, she will tell their story. And it's this really great number where you see her for the first time. She can't write. She can't do anything. And she's back up in her attic and she's just writing. And you like, it's like when you've had a tough day. Yeah. And how happy it makes me when I see you draw. And you just get lost in your drawings because I know that you're happy. 
Mm-hmm. And I know how much it is when you have writer's block, how difficult that is for your mental state. And like the joy I have in seeing you just sit and draw and get completely lost in it. That's how I felt here. I was like, good for Joe. I'm so pleased for her. Like, this is what she needs. And I know she's going to be okay. But this, this like moment here is the turning point. You know, like you've got this two path where you can just be consumed by your grief and lose everything you have. Forget the person you are. And basically sully the memory of Beth. Mm-hmm. Because Beth wouldn't want this. Mm-hmm. You know, Beth wouldn't want you to be consumed by your grief. Or you have this moment where you are going to triumph and and, and memorialise Beth in the best way possible. And she does that. And you're just like, yes. So proud of you, Joe. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the wedding. We have more. I forgot that we forgot to say that a little chandelier came down for the ball, which was great. But now we have like the little wedding flower baskets. Yeah, and they're fixing the flowers and Amy has her full wedding day breakdown. Yep. <laughs> which I love. Um But we also see Meg and John, which we haven't really seen much from them. But yeah, they had twins. They've had twins and they're getting things ready and we don't get much from them. We don't get the whole like breakdown that we got with the film where um Meg is like, I want to be so much more, I should be a lady of status. You know, they're just happy. And I quite like that. I just want them to be happy. Yeah. You know, Meg's... I'm happier that Meg is content with who she is because she chose this. Exactly. And it's nice that, as opposed to, you know, she's stealing fabric or, like, spending money that they don't have on fabric mm. to try and make nice things. This was nice. I liked it. But then Professor Bauer shows up. He's got I a... love this. Yeah. Can you imagine... <laughs> Mostly from the standpoint of, like, obviously, he could have written to her, yeah. like, telegrammed ahead and been like, I'm coming on this day, but he wanted to surprise her. Yeah. Okay, fine. So he rocks up. He's like, you said if I was ever in the neighbourhood, I'm in the neighbourhood. And she's like, oh, I never thought you'd do it. And he's like, yeah, have I come at a bad time? And she's like, here's my entire family. But I love that at each point, I knew maybe the family comes out and she said, this is my friend, off you go. And there's a bit with Meg where she's like, so this is the guy you let read your manuscript. This is the person you let read your book. And And she's like, like, goodbye, Meg. Yes. And Meg just walks off, you know, you know, we haven't actually talked about Meg too much because she's not that She's not, but we have Hannah Itchijo playing Meg and she was phenomenal and she's a 2021 graduate from Arts Ed so very bright future ahead of yeah. ahead of her and I really loved her take on on Meg but mm-hmm. you know this nice nice like coy smile she's like oh I'm on to you the side where she's like I know never getting married are we are we Joe? well mm-hmm. watch this space but it's really nice like each person comes out one at a time but we have this really nice scene between the pair of them uh you know he says Though we are not at all alike, you make me feel alive. You know, we have the, you may say that we're this. And she goes, no, you are not night and day. We are winter and spring, you know, or rain and sun, like deliberately doing it. Yeah, the opening of it is, um, he says, I think perhaps it looks like rain. And she says, well, the sky gets bluer by the hour. Yeah, and he's like. He's like, you're the most irritating person I know. But then we get the. Small umbrella in the rain. If I say share with me the small umbrella, she says, who cares if we get wet? Yeah. Which I love. And they reprise it, but they swap it the other way around. Yeah. And it's this really beautiful song about how they are just finally admitting that they care 
deeply for one another. Mm-hmm. He proposes and she accepts the proposal. But then he says... But he says to her, not not today and not tomorrow, or maybe not even in a year, but one day. And she's like, yes. Yeah. Because that's enough for them. It is. But then he also says that he sent the manuscript to the weekly Volcano Press, and she's like, how day? And goes she from being like, him. <laughs> kissed him and really romantic to hitting him in the manuscript. And he's like, what did they say? And i tell you what I really like here was, was the nervousness. Like, she has her fingers in her mouth, and you see this nervousness on Joe. She's mm. usually very... Uh, like confident and you see there's a real like this is so much more than her normal writing this comes really is just bearing her soul and it is and you see her vulnerable and Mm -hmm. it's this really powerful moment from uh lydia white Mm -hmm. i loved it so much because it is just everything she does as joe is tremendous and here is really great and he tells her that the publishers have agreed to publish it and she's over the moon Mm -hmm. out (laughs) yeah uh, There's a great moment in this as well where he says, what's going on today? He says, it's, it's my sister's wedding. He's like, wedding? Oh, wedding. oh my God. <laughs> the whole, He's so freaked this out. This whole scene is so like genuine and beautifully mm-hmm. done. Well, she says to him, please come inside and meet my family. So he goes ahead in and then she sings Sometimes When You Dream Reprise, which is the finale. Yeah. Her singing about how she'll astonish the world. But there's and- a not- yeah. Then he comes back, which is, I love the way that this is staged. Is so she's singing, she's holding the umbrella now, yeah. and she's singing about how, you know, sometimes when you dream, your dreams come true. And it's like her finally getting what she wanted. And then he comes back out of the door and he's like, Joe, we're all waiting for you. Yeah. And then she goes off with him. There's also a nice moment with the mum before he left where, you know, because Aunt March has come in and said, you oh, know, I'm leaving you my house. Yeah. And she says, you can turn, turn it into, into a school. school. And then... The mum comes out and says, so who is this man? And, and you know... This is Mr. Them. Bauer. We're starting a school together. And, and she like, repeats the same, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not in a year, maybe not in two years, but repeats it. And it's like, certainly, like, they are engaged. And she leaves and she just smiles as she leaves. And She just, says he's come to stay with us, which yeah. is cute. This beautiful silhouette, she walks in the house. Yeah. I... I gave him a standing ovation. I You're thought this same. was a absolutely magnificent. So piece. And I really liked the way that they came out of their curtain calls, that the four sisters came out together. Mm-hmm. And then Joe gets like a individual one. But I, I thought this was tremendous. I, I just, I loved every single thing of it. Yeah. Um, well, so there's, there's modern versions, like adaptations and retellings of this, where instead of being called Little Women... Because little women is the phrase that their father calls them. That's what he refers to yeah. them as they're his little women. In like a, he's talking about his kids kind of way. Yeah. But in modern adaptations call it Meg, Joe, Beth and Amy. And things like that. Or like There was a German marches. one that you said was... Beth uh, and her sisters. Beth yeah. and her sisters, which is essentially what I guess... The book is. The yeah. book is, yeah. I, I just thought this was like, like gorgeous. Um you said you were going to tell me some of the reviews and looking through them, you know, the reviews don't necessarily seem positive for it. They're not hugely positive, but a lot of them say similar things to what I've said. I think their phrasing just isn't great. So like uh, one of the reviews was like, this is like speed reading the book. Yeah. Which it's kind of true. Obviously, it cuts it jumping between all of the sort of more important points of the story, which is what I like about it. It cuts that which you don't really need and keeps 
all of the heart at the same time. Yeah. Which I agree with. However, people kept people reviewed this and were like, since the characters don't get full personalities, you don't feel emotionally invested in them. Like, okay, if you say so. I felt a little bit more emotionally invested in them. And I, I said I was concerned about that. More emotionally invested in them in this than yeah. I did in the movie that felt like it was about six hours long. But I, I felt like that was a concern for me going in because obviously we're in a thrust mm-hmm. stage. I felt far more emotional investment one of them says one of the reviews i've seen says that alan needs script offers long passages of astutely condensed alcott and you know i think that's a fair point Mm -hmm. but we're not seeing everything we're seeing the key points we need to for this story to work and yes i did say it's a little long at times but i i liked that i think you know this is a really really strong production and i think it would transfer phenomenally yeah me too I, I, I'll say in terms of this production, the one thing I, I think we both picked up on, because this is previews, there's definitely still some teething issues with the sound design. Yeah, some of the... Um, there's some feedback so, on the Yeah, mics. sometimes, and we were sat right in front of the sound booth, so I don't know whether it was that was yeah. the issue, but where we were sat, you could hear the music all beautifully orchestra like it's fantastic and we're on the opposite side of the stage from them yeah but sometimes you couldn't quite hear what was being sung yeah and there were some occasions so like towards the end with the the umbrella where their mics are together with the two characters are closer you would get the awkward the, feedback the awkward yeah. feedback but it's teething issues and it's very very minute mm-hmm. it's the only slight criticism i could give this but you know i don't have any problems with this yeah i think I mean, we're going to go into our MVP and everything, but this I gave five stars. Yeah. And I would see this again on the West End. I would go back to the Park Theatre, given the opportunity to go and see this again, because it's such a magnificent play. Yeah, me too. And I think if you get a chance to see it, it's on until the 19th of December. Mm -hmm. And I would urge any listener who is within the UK, certainly within London area, and if you're travelling down to London, make time to see this. It is reasonably priced as well. The most expensive ticket is £32.50. Mm-hmm. It's not expensive. They have concessions prices. They have children's prices. Yeah, it's a really, really wonderful show. Yeah, and you know you can follow the theatre on Twitter and you can follow Little Women on Twitter as well and, and have a look because it is beautiful mm-hmm. and it's so worth seeing. It's five stars for me. And I'm assuming the same for you. Yep. What I, I I think all of my songs, I don't have a skip song. I, I have to forego the skip song. Yeah, same. Because. Well, I said at the beginning, I could sing all the way through this. And yeah. I love every single song. I, I can't see a moment that I'd skip because they're all so important. Mm-hmm. In terms of best songs, I really like Joe's stories, you know, at the start of each act. The tragedies. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would say that arguably maybe the weekly Volcano Press would be something I would skip. It's fun as to listen like, to on the soundtrack, it is, though. But I can imagine it'd be quite long. And if you're on a short car journey, do you want to listen to all of that? Mm, yes, is the so, answer. So, you know, um, I I love Beth's Death. Something's Meant to Be is a powerful, heartbreaking song. Yep. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. You've got some really beautiful, like, light-hearted moments, like Small Umbrella in the Rain, um, More Than I Am. You know, Astonishing's is a great song. Delighted's a great song. I think I, I maybe again another skip song you potentially have is often Massachusetts, 
but in terms of watching it and the moment it brings to you it's such a brilliant song mm -hmm. and also i i really like this song i would listen to this yeah i don't i don't think i have a skip song i think no, i don't i'm gonna forego the skip song because everything is is done and it adds so much to his characters and the the lyrics are beautiful like absolutely gorgeous lyrics so you know congratulations to mindy dickstein because i loved it you know jason howland the orchestration is is magnificent mm -hmm. and the team behind little women at the park theater congratulations to you all yeah i think i know which role you want to play is i think you'd want to be joe yes but if i couldn't i would want to be amy yeah you quite like being about well you said to me like louisa may Alcott said that Amy is one of her favourite characters, yeah. even though, like, insert character, she's writing about her experience. She probably mm. is Joe. I mean, I'd also love to play Laurie. I love Laurie. I think he's hilarious. I, I would love to play Laurie. Mm -hmm. I think that was great. I, I'd love to play... I'd love to play Professor Bao. I'd love to play... Because we learn his name's Fritz as well, and she laughs a little she, bit. He says, please call me Fritz. And she's like, Fritz? Your yeah. name is Fritz. <laughs> I really liked his character and I'd love playing him. I'd love to play both of them. You know, I don't want to go for, I don't think there is a main role like from the men. You'd have such a great time as Mr. Lawrence as this older actor being like strict and stern and intimidating and but just lovely. softening yeah. up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'd play Fritz or Laurie or as an older actor, I'd play Mr. Lawrence. Mm -hmm. I know who your MVP is going to be and I think it's the same as me. Yes, absolutely, Joe. Yeah. She's astonishing. Yes, indeed. I, I think, again, sometimes I worry with the MVP that we undermine how great everyone else is. You have a fantastic yeah. cast and a really lovely, diverse cast as well. You know, like, it comes back to a point we have said repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Cast the right people in the right roles. I don't care if you've got these sister characters who will look different. I don't care about that. If because it doesn't are, matter. It doesn't matter. And this show pinpoints that beautifully. Mm -hmm. This wonderful, diverse cast. You've cast the right people for this. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you've created something special. Yeah. But absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, Lydia White excels. Her Joe carries this and it's the upbeat moments it's the arrogant moments it's the hubristic moments it's the moments of breakdown yep you go on this roller coaster with this character mm -hmm. admittedly it's only as good because of the ensemble you know beth's moment hits the peaks it should you know amy as a character hits what she should laurie uh, professor bauer the interactions with mr lawrence all of these different moments of the actors work because of you know that ensemble but yeah you know joe is a superstar mm -hmm. Agree. next week we will be in the thanksgiving mood yes indeed we will because it's been a year since we visited hatchet field yes it has and it is time for the final time in 2021 mm-hmm to go back to Team Starkid because we're going to be enjoying for Thanksgiving week. Yep. 
Black Friday. Yes, indeed. It's going to be good. I've been very excited to watch this one since The Guy Who Didn't Like Musicals. Yeah. And I love the fact we've waited a year. Mm-hmm. I, I can't wait to see what happens in part two. Because it's not a sequel, it's an alternate reality, I believe. And I'm very excited. I'm not but telling then, you anything. Yeah. And then the week after, we'll be going to see some more live theatre. Because we'll be going to the new Victoria Theatre mm-hmm. for a musical that makes me cry a lot. A musical I've seen many a time. We're going to swap the format like we did for School of Rock because we're going to go see Blood Brothers. Yeah. Which I am the expert on because I teach year in, year out. Mm-hmm. You don't think it's a musical. I'm telling you it is. <laughs> I, I don't rate it as a musical, Yeah. On the 6th of December, we will be bringing you our review of White Christmas, which we actually saw a few weeks ago mm-hmm. at the New Victoria Theatre again. We're going to be, be discussing the live tour that is currently going on of White Christmas. Yeah. And hopefully then on the 13th of December, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about the uh, the musical of Christmas past. Yeah. We're hoping that we will be able to watch Matthew Morrison as the Grinch. Mm-hmm. And then on the 20th of December for Christmas week is a musical that you are very excited by, which we were able to find on DVD. Yeah. Much to our delight. Carol. With one of your favourite musical personalities. Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer. So exciting. And then we will end the year with Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Yes, indeed. That is the rest of our 2021 lineup. This is the first time we have confirmed it. Mm-hmm. It's the first time we've said it. We are very, very excited for these final six episodes of the year. Mm. We do have some... Can you believe it? Right? How quickly has 2021 gone? Do you remember, out of curiosity, the very first episode we launched in 2021? Cats. It wasn't Cats. Is it not? We started the year as we meant to go on. Ruthlessly. Nice. <laughs> yes. But uh, can you believe, you know, the great content we've had? And actually, we've got some really, really exciting bonus content on the horizon. So we are going to be seeing Hairspray mm-hmm. live. We have seen this show before. We've seen the film before. Yeah, we we're are... not doing a, a full dedicated episode, but we will talk about it. Yeah, we are going to release an episode uh, just reviewing the production of Hairspray that we're going to be seeing. Mm-hmm. We obviously have some more episodes of It's a Musical Wedding on the horizon. We're going to go see Snow White as a pantomime, and I think we will launch an episode on that. But one of the ideas I've had, I'd quite like to talk about the best of the year. Yeah. This is the first full calendar year that we have done on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'd quite like to release an episode to celebrate the year where we talk about the top 10 musicals that we've reviewed this year. Yes. Where I will talk my top 10 of the year, you'll talk your top 10 of the year. And we would like you as the audience to get involved and you know you can either send us an, a video clip or an audio clip of you talking about your musicals that you've enjoyed mm-hmm. um you can send us comments on instagram or twitter but what we would love from from you lovelies out there who enjoy our show get involved in the conversation over on twitter and instagram at it's a musical pod and you know tell us the best musical we've covered this year mm-hmm. you know which of the 
52 musicals that we have covered since Ruthless, which is your favourite? Or a top 10 of the musicals we have talked about? Yeah. I'd love, you know, that contribution from you and hopefully we will launch that as a Christmas treat. We probably won't be doing a, a wedding review episode or wedding discussion episode in December because... I, I don't see much wedding planning going on whilst we are preoccupied with the festive season. No. So in lieu of It's a Musical Wedding, I think we will discuss the best musicals of our year. And we'd yeah. love for you to get involved. Mm-hmm. As always, you can download us on a multitude of great podcasting platforms. We are available on app podcasts. We are available on Spotify. We are available on google podcasts we are on the amazon music app under the podcasts section of the library you can find us on stitcher you can find us on good pods where we frequently chart thanks to everyone who listens to us on good pods in the arts section Mm -hmm. you can also find us on our og hosts podbean and if you like the show why not go and make our week by heading over to Apple Podcasts or to Good Pods or to Podchaser.com and leave us a review and let us know what you like about this show. Yeah. Get involved in the conversation on Black Friday. Let us know your thoughts as we return to Hatchetfield. But until next week, we will see you same bat place, same bat channel. Have a magical musical Monday.